Welcome to Digital Nomad Mastery, episode number 100. It is time to celebrate. 99 episodes down, and now we're in uh, 100, and we have a few hundred to go, maybe in a few thousand. Uh, you know, Digital Nomad Mastery is the podcast and the video cast where we teach you how to make money while traveling the world. And we've had amazing 99 guests on the show so far, teaching us about their experiences traveling around the world, how they made their travel dreams come true. It took a lot of sacrifice. It took a lot of... Uh, Courage, look, took a lot of strength, it took a lot of creativity, but each and every one of the 99 has been super inspirational to make their travel dreams come true. And on today's episode, we're actually going to be streaming for three hours continuously. It is currently 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we'll be streaming from uh, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time to 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So no matter where you are in the world, uh, we look forward to streaming with you live. Uh, we are on all the social media currently. Uh, uh, right now, we're streaming through YouTube, but we have shared it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, etc. cetera. Uh, so no matter which social media platform you're on, you can actually join live and watch. You can actually engage and interact with us by asking questions, commenting, and sharing your own stories. Um, there's a comment box on the YouTube uh, video and also on any of the social media. You can tweet at us. And uh, you can uh, Facebook comment us, uh, Instagram comment us, whatever you want to do. And uh, the ha hashtag for the event and for a podcast is hashtag Digital Nomad Mastery. And um, basically, the format of today is the first hour we're going to be talking about travel preparation. What does it take to prepare yourself for a long around the world trip? It's going to be about travel experiences, sharing about some of our favorite cities, countries and continents around the world, and also some of the highlights and the lowlights, the difficulties, the challenges, and struggles as you travel. And finally, hour three is the big one. How do you make money while traveling the world? So we're going to be talking with experts uh, from around the world who have actually monetized their travels through things like private coaching and masterminding on online courses and YouTube ad revenue and affiliate marketing and e-commerce stores and so many income streams, graphic design, web design, um, social media marketing, um, digital marketing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we're in for a treat with the next three hours. And you know, uh, as you're watching, feel free to join in for as little or as long as possible. And I really encourage everyone to engage and dialogue with us. Uh, so uh, quick introductions. Uh, my name is Ricky Shetty. I'm known as the Daddy Blogger, daddyblogger.com. And we're currently on our world tour. It's called the Daddy Blogger World Tour. And we've been uh, traveling for seven months continuously. We left Vancouver, BC, Canada, which is our uh, home city, on December 6, 2016. And we left to the Philippines, where my wife's from. And then we went to Hong Kong. Then we went to Dubai. Then we went to South Africa. And now we're focusing on the South American continent. We've already done Brazil, Uruguay. Guyana, Suriname, Guyana. We hopped over to the Trinidad and Tobago, and we just got into Colombia this week. So as we're streaming, I'm actually live on location here in Bogota, Colombia. And um, I just want to give a shout out to our host. Uh, this is the SOS Children's Village. Um, they're a great um, nonprofit uh, orphanage uh, based in Austria, in Europe, uh, but they're in around the world in 100 plus countries. And we actually work with them to fundraise and raise awareness. So. Uh, they're hosting us here at the orphanage, so thanks to them. 
And by the way, there might be some internet uh, lag. <laughs> a life as a digital nomad means you're never going to have perfect internet. So apologies if there's any hiccups in terms of the audio or video. But hey, we'll go with it. Uh, nomad can relate to bad internet. Uh, so that's a quick introduction about me. Uh, uh, we'll have different guests uh, you know, joining and leaving throughout the show. Right now, we have a good buddy, Scott, who's our co-host. We have Olivia over there in uh, Vietnam. We have uh, Jennifer over there in uh, Canada. We have uh, Dai and Christy who are over there in Bali, Indonesia. We have uh, Brian who is over there in Costa Rica. So they're going to introduce themselves in a second. Uh, but I wanted uh, my good buddy and co-host Scott to introduce himself because we actually started this project together uh, back on May 20th when we actually interviewed our first guest, uh, Dai Manuel. So uh, full circle here from episode one to episode 100. And in the last uh, two months, we've actually done 99 interviews, which is phenomenal, about two to three interviews per day. Uh, so Scott, uh, why didn't you do an introduction about where were you when we did episode one? And uh, tell us about your journey from episode one to 100 in terms of your travels. Uh, well, in episode one, <clears throat> I was in Croatia. And after Croatia, I went to London and Oxford and Cambridge and Brighton in the UK. And then I uh, was there for about 10 days, flew from there to Moldova, uh, Chisinau, the capital, and was there for a week, and then took a train from there to Odessa, and I've been there for the last uh, last three weeks. So that's been kind of my my uh, last couple of months, and it's kind of interesting because Ricky, you left Vancouver and went west, and I left Vancouver a month later and went east, and I've been spending most of my time around the Mediterranean and Eastern Europe, and tomorrow I'm going off to. Uh, teach English to a bunch of adult Polish uh, speakers who want to learn to speak better English in Poland for a week, and I'm really looking forward to uh, to doing that. Awesome. Uh, you know, a uh, big thanks to Scott. Uh, he does most of our tech in our back end. He's the one who edits uh, uh, the podcast, puts them on iTunes, uh, uh, puts them on U uh, YouTube with edited video version. Uh, so thanks to Scott. A big uh, round of applause for Scott. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so uh, Scott is actually going to be uh, co-hosting today. Uh, so he'll be able to uh, answer questions and uh, you know notify me. I'm kind of focused on the guests and making sure everything runs smoothly. Uh, this is our first time ever, by the way, to do a three-hour continuous Facebook, uh, Facebook and YouTube live stream. So forgive us if there's any glitches. Um, Scott, why didn't you pull up uh, the first 99 episodes just so we can acknowledge uh, the guests who have been on the show so far? Certainly. And then I'm going to get uh, the rest of the live participants to introduce themselves uh, about their journeys. Uh, so here we are. I'm actually going to pull this up on the big screen. Um, starting at episode one. All right, we just had someone else join too, Kervin, who's actually traveled to over 100 countries and he's over there in the US. So we'll do an introduction uh, of you hey, all right, in a second. Hey, Kervin. Uh, we're just going to uh, quickly uh, do uh, acknowledgement of all the 100. Yes. Uh, hey, uh, Scott, if you mind uh, just scrolling back to episode one. Okay, um, so uh, if anyone has any questions, uh, feel free to tweet at us. Uh, uh, just use hashtag uh, Digital Nomad Mastery, or you can uh, post them on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all under hashtag Digital Nomad Mastery, and we'll be tracking the hashtag uh, to see what questions you have. And uh, the good thing about doing a live stream is we'll actually answer them 
in real time. You don't have to wait until we see the message. We'll answer them in real time. Uh, to start off, I actually want to acknowledge all 99 guests. So this is going to take me a couple minutes, but I'm going to actually read through the 99 guests who actually uh, devoted the time uh, to the podcast for us as hosts, but also for the sake of all the millions and the millions of <laughs> listeners and viewers from around the world. So thanks to all of our millions and millions of viewers and listeners. And uh, thanks to all of the guests who actually uh, invested their time in the podcast. So episode one, as I was mentioning earlier, was uh, with uh, Dai uh, Manuel, who is over there in Bali, Indonesia. And then uh, episode two was actually Olivia Keen, who's uh, live on here. Episode three was Troy and Alicia. They're going to be joining us later. CJ was episode four. Uh, Simon Lewis was episode five. We were in the Caribbean at the time of the interview at House Sinning, episode six. Episode seven was Ken Schmidt, uh, who's an RVer uh, with the website Sensible Nomads. Diana Royal, who is actually RVing across the US, uh, who is episode eight. Episode nine was Renata. She was actually in Mozambique. She's a Brazilian digital nomad. So not all digital nomads are from the West. I mean, uh, Renata is actually from Brazil, traveling around Africa, overland currently. Uh, Betsy and Peter, uh, they are from the US, and they were house-sitting during our interview. Um, Jody is actually from London, England, and uh, he's actually had a cool story. He set up an NGO in Rio de Janeiro in the favela. So I encourage you guys to actually watch and listen to these episodes. They're really phenomenal stories. Episode 12 was with uh, Mary, who was actually from Alberta, but she was preparing to be a digital nomad. So we learned about her journey in preparation. Next up, uh, next up was Sabina and Keith. They're actually e-commerce experts. So they have a few e-commerce stores, and they make a full-time income just through e-commerce alone. And they're traveling the world originally from the U.S. But, uh, Anchor baby in uh, Costa Rica. So then their daughter has a Costa Rican passport. Ari talked about travel hacking, and then uh, Kara talked about dealing with depression and anxiety when she travels. Uh, Julie Connolly had a great episode about how travelers can clean up, give back, make a difference during their travels. Next up. There is a friend, Jennifer Paul, who's here live. Uh, she was actually guest number 17, talking about how she sold everything to travel the world with her two kids. Phenomenal story. Uh, Mark Smith from 30 Day Adventures. Uh, he does 30 Day Adventures around the world. Uh, Girl Gone in International's Eleni Lee. She has actually traveled to over 100 countries. Amazing story there. She's actually in Spain as we speak. Uh, she's actually going to join us later, too. Uh, Brian Yang makes a full-time income through teaching people how to dance on YouTube. What an amazing story there. Uh, we have uh, Monique, who has a business business consulting. who's actually in Medellin, Colombia, not far from me. He's actually a web designer from, uh, I believe it's Holland. He's Dutch, but now he's married to a Colombian living in Medellin. Uh, Stephanie is the full nomad. She's actually been traveling for five years continuously five years continuously. She's actually on, on the five-year journey right now. Alrighty, sorry it's taking a while here. I just want to acknowledge all <laughs> 99. Okay, I'm going to go a little bit faster. Nicholas, World Travel List. Uh, Matt Gibson is the president of the Professional Travel Bloggers Association, which is the biggest um, organization of travel bloggers in the world. Uh, over here is uh, Brian Walsh, who's actually live on the episode. Hey, Brian. Actually talking about affiliate marketing. Uh, great episode. Make sure you check that one out. Uh, Jennifer Miller, who will be joining us later, uh, is going to talk about uh, education while traveling for kids. So homeschooling, world schooling, unschooling, self-directed learning. Claudia is actually a digital nomad from Italy. 
And uh, Jonathan's a digital nomad who's actually in Israel, in uh, Tel Aviv. Um, uh, Gabriela is in Mexico, uh, talking about her life in Mexico. Darren Jacqueline is a world-class speaker who travels around the world. Um, uh, so he taught about how to become a paid professional speaker. Minority nomads, Eric Prince, uh, he wants to be the first African-American, similar to Kervin. Kervin and Eric are duking it out for the title of the first African-American to travel to every country in the world. Uh, Ka, Ka Sundance is a German digital nomad who's actually in Guatemala. Uh, Kendrick is a Chinese-Canadian digital nomad uh, currently in Europe. And I just want to show you that there's so many different ethnicities and nationalities. Nicole is uh, currently teaching English in Oman in the Middle East. Uh, Dan and Rachel, who will be joining us later, are the founders of Blogging Concentrated. Reg Newfield is traveling with his wife around the U.S. Uh, in an RV. Frank uh, gets a full-time income for fulfillment by Amazon. So if you're interested in FBA fulfillment by Amazon, check that one out. Amy and Nate are a mother, uh, mother in Coast Trail. Uh, Doug Diamonds is a really interesting episode. He actually teaches light uh, how to travel the world with only one bag. <laughs> His website's great episodes there. Okay, and Avi, Avi talks about digital marketing agencies, build a business around your book. James talks to Rick. Uh, he has a great podcast called Counting Countries. Uh, we have uh, Alvaro, who's a digital nomad from Peru. He talks about how to travel through Machu Picchu. Great episode there. Uh, Amanda, unique episode talking about how you can make money by working on a cruise ship. Uh, Kevin, he, he did an RV trip across Canada with his uh, teenage daughter called Teen Across Canada. Karen King, World Schooling Connect. He does niche sites. Brian Fay, he actually set up a village in Mexico where people can travel to. He's from the U.S., but now he has a village. Uh, Jen Ruiz, uh, solo female travel. So if you're a solo female traveler, you can check out that episode. Uh, travel Hacking with Dan Miller. Chase talked about how to uh, complete your bucket list. Jackie talked about how to uh, be a travel agent through Expedia. Explore Mom, they're a single mom around the world for four years so far. Tina and Keith are retired early to move. They live in Ecuador. Dan Hopwood has a great uh, tool called Casey Travel to teach people how to make money in their blog. Megan Tomo, they run the Travel Blog Summit. Uh, Patty Ho uh, talks about how to sightsee in Iceland. Uh, Bill Hugel talks about successful product launches. Over there in Indonesia, Bali talks about how is life an expat in Bali. Um, Jamal talked about how you can get paid to travel. Uh, Chris about the weirdness of travel. Matt McLean, digital nomad, um, currently in Victoria, talks about travel hacking. Minutes later is the founder of uh, uh, Virtual Assistance Online. And for digital nomads, what a great episode with Robin Smith. Uh, by the way, Kevin joined us. If you don't mind muting, Kevin. And every now and then, you can just mute so there's no feedback or background noise. Uh, Carol talks about blogging. Uh, Paulette? Nomad living in Brazil talks about sightseeing in Brazil. Roy Steven talked about how to get yourself published in the media as a travel writer. <laughs> Episode 69 was Kevin Wagger talking about family travel. Uh, Bela talked about how digital nomads can get in the media. Ocean Bloom talked about health and fitness. I know Dai can relate to that when you're traveling. Julian Haas talked about uh, how to do expat in Singapore now in Singapore. Charles talks about how to become a travel influ influencer. Uh, that's a big term in uh, marketing nowadays. Um, Jenna has a great uh, organization and uh, she taught how artisans can become entrepreneurs. 
Uh, she has a great trade show across Canada. Uh, Julian talked about living in a van. What a cool story, living, working, traveling in a van. Claire Scotty talked about how you can set up an online travel magazine and make revenue through ad ads and advertising, etc. Uh, travel the world with Scott Eddy. He's a personal branding expert. Melvin talked about Orcom. Uh, he's from Germany, digital nomad in Germany. That 150. A lot of Canadians in the show, so shout out to all the fellow Canadians. We just celebrated 150. Go Canada. Uh, Yarostarak, he's made over a million, a million dollars online. <laughs> so he talked about Yarostarak's uh, website. Mel, uh, sightseeing in Colombia. Monica talked about uh, doing group tours in Europe. Uh, the road less traveled. Uh, Jason talked about how to travel with a kid with disability. Very powerful episode. Uh, Disneyland, we had to cover Disneyland at some point in the, in the interviews. Uh, so Leslie talked about that. Uh, Jordana talked about being an urban xenophile. Uh, how to get press trips as a travel blogger. He's a dad. Alex um, is currently in Europe, traveling around with the Waving Voyage. Kids are a trip. They are indeed. Uh, this is a great episode. Daniel Fung, who's actually going to be joining us later. If you're running a coaching business, he talked about how to get and keep clients in your coaching business. Highly recommend that episode. Final 10 here. Uh, James Taylor, who ran the successful summit just two weeks ago called um, International Speaker Summit with 5,000 plus people in the online summit, talked about how to become a paid professional speaker and travel the world. Uh, Vincent talked about travel photography. He's actually going to be joining us later too. Uh, next up is Sarah Tyler, how to teach English online, another great revenue stream as a digital nomad. Sasha has been to every single country in the world, all 193. He talked about how he made that happen. Uh, next we have Tommy Walker from England, a digital nomad as well. Catherine, uh, who's actually in South Africa. She's one of our first African digital nomads. She's based in Cape Town and travels the world. And she might be joining us later too. Sky, uh, that was a cool interview where Scott and Sky were live on location. Uh, Henry Lee talked about uh, how to take photography during your pictures. He also had a great story about how to take care of your aging parents uh, when you're overseas and how to deal with the whole health side of things with aging parents. And then we had, uh, yeah, so I think that's our 99. <laughs> Sorry it took so long, but I just want to acknowledge all 99 guests and inspire people to watch and listen to any of those episodes. We're live on iTunes now, and uh, you can leave us a rating and review. We're also live on YouTube, so you can actually uh, subscribe, comment, and share. Okay, so those are the formalities out of the way. I know all of our guests have been waiting patiently to uh, speak as well. So thanks everyone for joining us live on this Google Hangout and live around the world through social media. Uh, so for this, uh, the rest of this hour, we're running it from uh, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're actually going to be talking about travel preparation. So you as a, a listener and a viewer, you might still be in your hometown wondering what does it take to actually leave everything behind to travel the world? Every single person here has done that to some degree, either for a few months, six months, a year, two years. Some, of, some people have been digital nomads for like five to 10 years, even before the term existed. Uh, so we have some amazing stories. Uh, we've already heard from Scott. So I'm gonna basically just ask um, um, each of the guests to share a little bit about their story. Let's keep it short and sweet to about, you know, like um, 90 seconds each, just so we have time for all 
the guests to share. I know um, Kevin actually has to leave in a little bit because he has appointments. I'm actually going to let him share. I know some other people might have to leave as well. But uh, Kevin and me, we actually uh, run a, a Facebook Live weekly called the Travelpreneur Show, teaching people how to be travelpreneurs, which is very uh, different than being a digital nomad. So Kevin, why didn't uh, you do your introduction first because I know you got to head, head out. Uh, share who you are, uh, what made you travel, and, uh, and anything else you want to share in about 90 seconds to two minutes. <laughs> Thanks, pal. Hey, Ricky, it's always a pleasure to be with you, and amazing panel you got here with some people. I've been kind of looking through and just uh, looking into learning more about them, but uh, it's been fun. So for me, Teen Across Canada was a our trip. We went on a one-year trip across Canada. We took my daughter out of school, my wife's brainchild, uh, 15 years old, and we said, what are we going to do? And she just said, we get an RV, and we're going in an RV, so we went from 2,200 square feet down to 120 square feet, so if you can imagine that, and we just went from the east coast to the west coast up to the north in Canada for a little over, actually 13 months, and it was fun because it was learning all about the country and the landscape, but here's what happened, which was even more fun. When I got talking to Ricky, and I said, we're going to do this trip, he goes, dude, he goes, what are you going to do? Email pictures back to your friends and family? And I was like, well, yeah, like, you know, he goes, no, 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 no. He goes, you got to do this properly. So we created a Facebook page. We created a Twitter page. We created a website. We got a YouTube channel. I'm thinking, oh my God, I've become this business guy on a personal family trip. But that's exactly what started happening. And it was just in line with what I was already doing, which was coaching and teaching and consulting other people. So Ricky was kind of my mentor in making sure that I got the message across properly. Um, and then as we started going across the country, media got wind of it. So think about this, right? You're just on a family trip, like you're just, you know, trying to educate your daughter. And we're on CBC, which is the national uh, Canadian radio and television production company. We got on Shot TV, which is a regional TV. We came back home and then Chinese television picked us up. And I want you to think about this for a second. I don't look Chinese. And they came in and they had it and they did like subtitles and everything. We're like, what? So what happened was we just had turned in our business, like this trip into more of how do we leverage it in, in terms of business. And that's what I did was coaching while I was on the trip, being able to help other people. And it was fun because we were in some little city, little town, as long as I had Wi-Fi and internet, cell phone, bang, away I went. So the Teen Across Canada was really about educating our daughter, and it was uh, education beyond academics was our tagline. Um, and it was very, very interesting because I didn't realize we could do it. I mean, I, I my wife was like, hey, yeah, we're going to do it. And I went, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. And you know what? We put we, you know, budgeted aside. So talk about preparation. Man, it was like budget. What do we want every month? Here's what we can do, and here's what we got to put in the plan to do it, whether it was museums and eating and taking it easy and visiting, and then hooking up when we were in BC. Ricky and I got a chance to bring our two families together, which was an amazing time. And anybody that is thinking about traveling for a long period of time, here's my two words. Do it. <laughs> uh, you know, today I, I help people um, in business um, gain media attention, actually. I had somebody say to me, dude, you got all this media attention. Why don't you show people how to do that? And I went, like, what are you talking about? So now on both sides of the fence, I have my own shows, like one with Ricky, and I have three other podcasts. I also have a column in the Canadian Business Journal, and I also teach business owners how to get in the media because it's free advertising. If you're not in the media, this is the number one thing you want to do. So I don't want to take up any more time. <laughs> 
Thanks, my friend. Uh, Kevin and me run a weekly show called The Travelpreneur Show every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, all across the web, uh, Facebook Living. So make sure you check that one out. Uh, I wanted to inv invite up uh, Dai Manuel. He was actually episode number one. And we've come full circle from episode one on May 20, 2017. Here we are on July 14, 2017. Within two months, we've actually done 100 episodes. So, uh, you know, good on us for doing that. Good on all the guests for joining us. Uh, it was actually quite tough, I just want to say that, uh, to coordinate cities, countries, continents, time zones, schedules, tech issues, and we made it happen. So Dai actually believed in us from the very beginning. And he, he was episode, uh, he's actually a good buddy of mine from Vancouver, BC, Canada. We actually started an amazing dads group together, which is still running. It's called Why We Are Dads, and uh, you can check that out. Hashtag Why We Are Dads, Why We Are Dads. Uh, Why We Are, by the way, for those of you who don't know, is the airport code for Vancouver. Uh, so we started this group, and uh, Hartley Sharak, he's actually taken it over and is still running. So it's a legacy that continues beyond us. I'm, oh, I'm Ambia dies in Bali, Indonesia, but this group that we started about four or five years ago is still running. Uh, so Dai, uh, you know, the, tag you it. Uh, do you want to share a little bit more about yourself? Uh, you and your wife, uh, Christy, are traveling around the world with your two young daughters. They're not so young anymore. Now they're pre-teens and teens. But uh, uh, So why didn't you give us a quick, uh, what made you leave Vancouver, BC, Canada to travel the world? Sure, I'll let Chrissy fill, fill you in on that story in just a sec, but I just want to acknowledge you, Ricky, as well as Scott, just for what you've accomplished. I mean, talk about, uh, some people say, you know, marathon, you know, based on 100 episodes, people would think that's a marathon, but you guys did it like a 400-meter sprint. So uh, congratulations for, for just pumping out some serious content, as well as amassing such an incredible uh, array of speakers. I mean, it's it's wonderful. So we're, we're honored to be back here for episode 100, but... Uh, Christy wasn't able to be there on the first episode, and I'm going to let her just give you a quick rundown on a, a little bit of a snapshot of our story and some of the adventures that are yet to happen. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, so I was a backpacker, one of those Southeast Asia Australian travelers way back post-secondary school, and a couple years into my travels, I met Di, and he anchored me down in uh, Vancouver, Canada. and. Pretty much for 15 years, I just drift on them. I just drift on that dream of exploring as a family and exposing our children, our future family to uh, different cultures and the diversity. And it just shifted me so significantly at a fairly early age. I'd never done any international travel. I'd done the Hawaii trips and the Mexico trips and California, Disneyland, that kind of thing. And I had gone a little bit international, but always for business and conferences and business trips. But otherwise, we'd been fully North America bound. And yeah, eventually, he just kind of had enough was enough with his six-figure corporate gig, the climbing the ladder and realizing that the guy he was chasing didn't have the lifestyle that he wanted, which I know is the story for many of people doing the digital lifestyle. So um Finally, I was about 12, 13 years old. Our daughters are 12 and 14 now. And she was about, our oldest was about to be a teenager and dies like, holy S-H-I-T. Like it's, time has flown and I, where have I been? And it's just have that ability to really feed into our children and nurture and the relationships and spend quality family time. 
but also living the life we were time-wise, commitment-wise, but also price point-wise. So we decided two years ago to give notice to our corporate gigs and figure it out from there. We didn't really have our ducks in a row. Our savings had been spent on our dream for Die to Produce a book. And oh, I just happened to have it. <laughs> so we put a down payment on a dream. And so his book was created. We still didn't have savings. We'd quit our jobs, but we knew we were going to figure it out. We did have some online income at the time and realizing that people were making money in the influencer space. And I had started a blog as a hobby 10 years ago, and that was starting to get some traction. And we just knew that if we gave away everything we had and downsized our over monthly, like our overhead, our monthly commitments, we could make something work. And so that's where we're at. And we traveled all North America last year, going into communities, people that we connected with online. And now we ended up coming in May internationally to Bali and we leave tomorrow and we'll be headed back to Canada and more of North America connecting with family and friends. So it's been great. Awesome. Adai, do you want to add anything? Uh, you know, it, I, I just want to echo what a lot of other people said and, and what Christine said. You know, at the end of the day, uh, we made a decision to live life a little bit differently. You know, sever a couple cords, uh, realizing that, no, we didn't have everything figured out. Um, but sometimes you just have to, to take that risk, right? Like, what is the worst that can happen? I think that's a lot of us get hung up on this fear. I don't know, Ricky, you saw the feed this today on my Facebook wall, but I asked a simple question. What would you do with your life if money wasn't uh, a factor? Right. If you just had all the money you needed in your bank account, what would you choose to do with your life? And it was incredible to see all the answers that people had. You know, there was about 90 comments within a couple hours and just people saying what they would love to do. And one of the top ones was travel. People would like to travel more and spend more time with their family. So you have to ask yourself, what are you doing right now that's preventing you from accomplishing that? And as Chrissy said, we downsized our lifestyle. We literally, we got rid of a lot of overhead. We streamlined things and we were able to create some income from some other things online and that, to allow us to continue uh, to just really spend time with our family and travel more. And, uh, you know, it's all completely possible and we're in a, an incredible time right now and, you know, you've interviewed a hundred people that, that can echo a lot of what we're talking about right now. So I just know for those that are sort of on the fence and thinking about it, What's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is you go back to getting another job, like whatever. Um, but every once in a while, you just got to chase that dream. And uh, so I, I really hope that other people find some inspiration from any of these 100 speakers and realize we're no different than any of you. Um, it's just we decided to take a little bit of a risk. And, uh, and we're learning as we go. Thank you, guys. I love the couple chord, hashtag couple chords. <laughs> Uh, they have a, well, thank you again. Yeah, if you're just listening on the audio version, we actually do these videos as well. So uh, Dai and Christy have a cute couple chords, so that's the reference I was making to. <laughs> uh, and Dai and Christy are definitely big inspirations to a lot of people around the world, not only because of their travels, but because of their journey to health and fitness. Uh, they can, they'll be sharing a little bit about that, but they have the, something called the Whole Life Fitness Manifesto. So if you struggle with uh, health and fitness, definitely uh, reach out to them. Uh, they're great inspir inspirers. Uh, they're actually known as the life enhancers, so that's what they are. 
Uh, so next up is uh, episode number two. Uh, this is Olivia Keen, and she was uh, in. Uh, she was our second guest that we ever interviewed. We did a little Bali series to start off. Uh, Bali is one of the big digital nomad hub. hub Hub, digital nomad hubs around the world, and um, uh, we had um, Dai as the first episode, Olivia as the second episode, and then Alicia and Troy, who were also in Bali, as the third episode. So we started uh, our broadcast with three interviews in Bali. But she's actually no longer in Bali, she's in Vietnam. Uh, so Olivia, why didn't you do a quick intro? Uh, you know, what made you leave? Uh, you're also from uh, British Columbia, from Victoria, and you left it all behind to travel the world, you know, to Indonesia, Vietnam, and beyond. So go ahead and share with this for the sake of the uh, guests, viewers, and listeners. For sure. Um, well, I didn't plan or had like my whole life where I wanted to go traveling. I mean, I had the desire, but I got into meditation and um, just one day it kind of came up. It was like, you should go to Bali, which was kind of uh, funny because I hadn't had a lot of friends who'd gone. I didn't know that much about Bali. So I sold my stuff. I was planning to only come for six months. Um, um, and kind of leverage myself, get over to Bali, and then sort of figure it out, kind of like what Dai was saying, um, when you have the desire and want to stay, you can make a lot of stuff happen. Um, and so I was in Bali for six months, and I'm right now, I had to do a visa run. And so I'm here kind of checking out some family roots. My mom is from Hanoi originally, so I've just been traveling around the country and I'm on my 10th month now and I'm almost feeling like I'm gonna make it to the year I originally thought six months I'll go back but I got out of my lease and I'm just loving the life and I think for me right now the most I'm getting out of it is the personal growth cliche I know like all those quotes about traveling but I've never felt more true to who I am um, more proud of just like getting through different circumstances and just um, enjoying life and the new experiences that it has. So I'm super grateful that being a digital nomad has allowed me to do that and um, being on the show. So thank you. Thanks so much for being on on episode two and now back on episode 100. Uh, I wanted to uh, next up welcome uh, Jennifer. Uh, Jennifer just came back from an amazing trip around the world. Uh, I actually know her personally from Blistem, uh, which was a previous life, a previous career, uh, uh, teaching bloggers how to monetize their blog over there in Toronto, Canada, and uh, she left a successful event production company behind to travel the world. Uh, so just, I, I love these stories of people who have left it behind to pursue their dreams. They're living life by design, not by default. Uh, welcome David Smith who just joined us as well. Uh, he'll be sharing a little bit. Uh, but Jennifer, uh, you know, you have an amazing story of how you left uh, Ontario uh, to travel the world, um, uh, you know, visiting multiple countries, multiple continents, multiple cities with your husband and two kids. Uh, why don't you share a little bit more with the story, Jen? Sure. Thanks, Ricky, and congratulations, Scott and Ricky, on the 100th anniversary or the 100th episode. This is so exciting for you guys. Um, what we were similar to, Diane Christie, in that um, we kind of were taking a check, um, kind of a look at, at how our family life was being run. Uh, I had three businesses running at the same time, which was great, but also caused huge amounts of anxiety, huge amounts of pressure to get, make sure everything was running and entrepreneurship can be hella hard at times, as all you guys know. Um, and I looked back to kind of what my dream plans were. And we had always talked about traveling the world. It's in every single diary I have from when I was backpacking when I was in my 20s. And we just kind of had looked at our at our life, which was very set. And um, it actually started at Toys R Us. And I was with my daughter's friends. 
and all of them were talking about how the 200 littlest pet shops they have and the 150 shopkins and there was just this element of consumerism and and first world problems hashtag first world problems and all that kind of stuff that just made me feel so gross in terms of um the importance of, of global citizenship and the fact that our kids really had no idea what other kids deal with around the world. So I kind of came home and I cried to, to my husband and I said, this is awful. Like our kids are growing up to be like superficial assholes. <laughs> They're not, but I mean, a lot of their friends were and, and we just didn't want that for them as well. And we thought, what can we do to make a difference in their lives? Um, They're nine and 10, nine and 11 now. Um, and we just said, We've got to go traveling the world so that they can actually see other cultures and be immersed in other cultures and experience what it's like to really, really value the fact that we're all connected. And so we sold our house in a very, very hot Toronto market, um, much to the chagrin of, of a lot of our friends who thought that was a big mistake. <laughs> we actually sort of the same thing with Diane Christie. We said, what's the worst that could happen? Um, the worst that could happen is we're living at the cottage right now. This is our, our Muskoka cottage and we're just hanging out and it's great. And we're sort of living very low key. But uh, we went for eight months. We did six continents, 20 countries, and we just traveled with one backpack. We had two to start and we sent it halfway home. Uh, halfway through our trip, we sent it back home. And it just blew my mind. It blew my mind how connected uh, our kids and, and ourselves as a family became. We became very synergistic and very team oriented. They are actually in a different province right now visiting my family and we're missing them like they're they're part of an arm or something is missing right now it's really strange because i'm watching all these people complaining about how their kids are driving them crazy and i'm i'm lamenting this kind of like connection that we have and and really like sort of missing that that point why they're a visiting family my son um has autism he's he's got special needs and watching him thrive while we world schooled on the road was something that i thought was a truly incredible experience that we're going to be writing about um we're kind of working on a, a book proposal right now to talk about um autism on the road and uh at this point i i just say similarly and echo olivia and diane christy just do it um because it was the best decision for our family and it was the best decision for our lives and we're back now and we're just we're figuring it out and and it changed us as people in a big, big way thank you jennifer very inspiring i wish you the best with the book project uh you know a lot of us authors here by the way i have a book about a uh, father called uh, wisdom from daddies uh die as actually author as well uh the whole life fitness manifesto and i uh, uh, yeah definitely a of the other guests so highly recommend that publish your book as well as a great um and by the way everyone's saying just do it so thanks to nike one of our podcast sponsors just do it <laughs> just joking uh, we're looking for a sponsor so if you are a, a corporate sponsor reach out to us we'd love to monetize the podcast to a much greater degree than we're in now uh, and by the way die actually has a great saying don't just do it uh instead flip it around and be the people who have just done it be the just did it people. You know, all the people on the episode today have just done it. They're not just doing it. They've actually already traveled the world and they're the just done it people. So hashtag just done it. <laughs> just did it. Oh, there you go. Just did it. Okay. Uh, so uh, we've already uh, heard from quite a few of the guests. Uh, welcome to our new ones who are joining us. By the way, uh, everyone who joins, please mute yourself just so we don't get feedback. Uh, I think David, if you don't mind muting uh, Jennifer and uh, some of the 
others. Um, and by the way, if you're watching this live, feel free to ask comments, uh, leave questions. Um, uh, you know, share your own stories of how you want to leave uh, your corporate world and travel the world. Just share anything with us. Hashtag Digital Nomad Mastery. Next up, we're going to invite up Brian, uh, who's also a family travel blogger. We've heard uh, a few uh, different families who travel the world. So no matter what stage of life you are, whether you're a single, uh, whether you're uh, uh, just married or you know a couple dating who are traveling the world, whether you're a new parent like myself traveling the world with three young kids, or whether you're like uh, Scott who's actually an empty nester traveling the world, uh, whether, you, whether you're a divorced, single, married, no matter what, even gay, uh, even uh, straight, even anything above, you can travel the world. Brian is living proof of that. He's actually traveled the world with his wife and kids. Um, they did an amazing trip around the world, and now they're actually relocated from the U.S. to Costa Rica. So tell us a little bit about your travel journey in terms of the world travels and your relocation, Brian. Great. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure not only sharing my story with everybody else out there, but also uh, hearing everybody else and connecting with other people who have traveled the world and can bring so much uh, to everybody else out there. I appreciate it. Thank you. About four years ago, we packed up our lives, sold the house, did everything else we wanted to, and said, you know what? We've had enough of this. It's time to go. So my wife and my two boys, who were eight and five at the time, uh, started traveling the world. Initially, I said, hey, let's go to Central or South America. I think my marketing business can sustain us down there. We'll be fine. My wife says, no, we're going to travel everywhere. Let's go and just do it, as you guys said. So we did. We ended up going to 20 countries over five continents uh, for the first year, everywhere from you know, Costa Rica, Nicaragua. We uh, ended up in South America. We were in Africa for a little while, Southeast Asia. So we did get to stay in Bali and visit in uh, Vietnam and a lot of other places around there. Uh, after that, we ended up back here in Costa Rica for a year up towards the north Northwest area. And then we lived in South Africa for a while as well, which was an amazing experience. Uh, during that time, we've also been on safari. We've, uh, my wife and I have climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. We've uh, pretty much been around everywhere. Went back to the States for a little while, said we had enough of that. We have to get back to our traveling and seeing the rest of the world, not just for us, but also for our sons and, and their experiences in education to be able to remind them what a big world we live in. Uh, so now recently we've came back to Costa Rica and we'll see what the next uh, couple of years holds in store for us. We'll might go back to Southeast Asia, South Africa. Who knows? That's one of the best parts of it. Awesome. Uh, and we're going to be getting into how uh, everyone prepared for the travel journeys. Brian, thanks for sharing your story. I think a lot of people are envious of you in Costa Rica. It's definitely a big uh, dream of a lot of people to relocate to some beautiful paradise such as uh, Costa Rica. Uh, we just had Jennifer Miller join as well. We'll introduce her in a second. Uh, but before we do that, let's get uh, Kervin on. Uh, Kervin's been waiting, waiting patiently. Uh, he's actually, um, he has amazing, I mean, everyone has an amazing story. He was working, <laughs> uh, he was working in the airline industry, and, uh, and now he's actually uh, traveled to uh, almost every country in the world. And one of his big goals is to visit every single country, every single airport, and travel in every single airline uh, he can. So. Share with us a little bit about your background as working in the airline industry and, and now how about your mission to visit every country, Kervin? Go ahead. Sure. Hey, everyone. Uh, Rick, uh, thanks for having me on and congrats on number 100. 
Um, I'm actually here in Ireland. I'm lying on the floor because it's more comfortable. <laughs> I just walked into the hotel while um, while I was waiting for you guys. Um, I started flying. Uh, my first flight was when I was nine, and I've always wanted to work for an airline. So um, I started working for, uh, I think it was 1994. I'd worked for Delta. Then I worked for American Transair. Then I moved to Continental slash United. So in 2011, when they merged, I decided um, I had done a lot in the industry and I wanted to give a lot of information to primarily airline employees. Because I used to have like a line around the block, people asking, asking me uh, for information while sitting at my desk. So um, it made sense to just go ahead and try to help these employees. So I, um, I'd already had the websites out there. So I just started to travel some more. Uh, basically, did what, what a lot of you guys did um, is just ditched all my stuff. Basically, I gave them away, told my friends to come, come whatever can fit in your car, will fit in your car, and you can take it. And so I did that. And my friends, some of my friends got jealous because I was staying with other friends who I not known long enough uh, in their terms. And so they wanted me to stay with them. So eventually, I had to put a calendar together to decide who I was going to stay with and how long I was going to stay with them. Um, I had friends call me up and go and really basically told me off, so I had to go stay with them for a while. So if I don't stay with friends, I stay in hotels. I work with um, uh, hotels or tourist boards to try to promote their destinations. And the goal is um, just try to visit all the countries in the world. There's no rush to do it. Um, it's just whenever it happens. So the most recent one was uh, Transnistria and Moldova, uh, which are interesting countries you'll get a chance to look them up. And I do have a book coming out, a second book. It's called um, 89 Things to Do as an Airline Employee Before You Quit. It's primarily for airline staff, but anyone can, um, can use it. And the latest project, which is why I'm here in Ireland, is Unfamiliar Destinations. Because I, I don't know how many of you have probably been to Limerick, uh, but it's one of the cool places in Ireland to visit when you get a chance. That's it. Awesome. Uh, quickly, how many airlines have you flown with, and uh, how many countries have you visited so far? Uh, 167 airlines, and uh, I probably fly War Air tomorrow, depending on what goes on. It'll be 168, and countries is 116 so far. Oh, you know, uh, uh, definitely one of the most uh, travel people on a podcast so far. We've had two <laughs> guests so far. We've been to all 193. So we'll definitely do that uh, after we do all of our introductions. Awesome. Uh, so we, yeah, thanks, Kevin. Uh, we do have uh, two more people who have to do the intros. Uh, David Smith, he's a world travel photographer who actually travels the world speaking on cruises. What a life, I mean. You know, you're speaking on cruises, seeing the world. And so David... Why didn't you share a little bit about yourself? Oh, hi, and good uh, morning, my time. Um, I'm not too sure where everybody's from. I just woke up. It's early, early morning here in uh, British Columbia. I'm in a small city called Kamloops, a beautiful sunny day. My, um, my story is um, I am a guest lecturer on cruise ships, and I've been doing this for 13 years, and my wife, Anna, and I are passionate about travel. Um, we have been to 135 countries on six continents. The only one we haven't seen is Antarctica. And um, our passion is actually the photography of local people and culture. So what I'm doing is leveraging 
the opportunity we have on traveling on cruise ships with the complements of the cruise line. And we uh, finish a, a, um, a contract and we often will get off a cruise ship somewhere in the world and travel that area of the world for as long as two or three months, but mostly a month at a time. And then the cruise line will fly us home when we're ready to go home. So it's the ultimate gig for travel, first class luxury travel, and you get to some place in the world and then, then we backpack, we trek, we, um, we check our <coughs> cruise ship luggage, some hotel or storage place, and then we put on our sandals or bathing suit, rent a scooter, and we're off. So that's, uh, that's our style. And uh, as a result of um, teaching uh, travel photography or lecturing on the subject on cruise ships, I always try to keep myself current in terms of what's going on in the digital photography world, what's going on with smartphones and apps. So I have, a, I think, an interesting series of of uh, lectures and, and educational media. Uh, my website, I, I see you, most of you have your website on your, with your name underneath your, your video feed. I don't know how to do that. This is the first time I've participated in a podcast like this. So I imagine it's setting it up under your Google account, but I'll do that later. But my website is interfaceimages.com. I have online uh, photo classes. I have uh, extensive uh, photography gallery. Um, one of my most successful endeavors is the production of um, fine art images. I take my best world images and treat them in a sort of a, a clever way and, and create a, a fine art look to my images and I upload them to Fine Art America. So that's a really good way of making money because I don't have to touch it. Uh, people order the Fine Art America print and they ship. And all I see is money in my PayPal account. Ching, ching, you know, you wake, wake up in the morning, turn on your computer, ching, ching, love it. <laughs> so that's my story so far. <laughs> awesome. Uh, thank you, David. And I will be Asking David about travel photography, that's what he does as a full-time career. And uh, I think a lot of us who are traveling would love to take better pictures. So stay tuned for that. Uh, we have us who's joined us to tune in. Uh, by the way, uh, there'll be people joining and leaving uh, over the next three hours just because people at different time zones, etc. So uh, Jennifer Miller uh, is joining us. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Where are you currently while we're doing this interview? And share more about yourself, Jen. Ricky, thanks so much for having me this morning. It was really fun to do the interview with you a week or so ago. Uh, I'm in Canada this morning on the East Coast, so the opposite side of the last fellow who was talking. Um, and my story is that we've spent the last 10 years traveling full-time with our family, including four children who were 5 through 11 when we took off and who are 15 through 21 now. Obviously, the oldest two are off on their own. Um, and as we speak, my guys are returning hopefully today, maybe tomorrow, from a nine-month sail to the Bahamas and back, which is kind of exciting. Um, and my work is at the intersection of education and adventure. I help families figure out how they can take their children and their educations on the road. And I also work with uh, a backpack company and am the co-founder of the Travel Access Project, which provides grants for gap year travel. So if you know young people who are wanting to get out in the world, 
um, who are looking for some funding to do that, the Travel Access Project is where they should look. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely have a chance to do a deeper dive into all the stuff Jen does. She actually works in a few different areas. If you want to check out that episode, uh, you know, shout out to Tortuga Backpacks as well. Uh, she, she, uh, tell us about that, actually, just quickly. What is the digital nomad backpack that Tortuga just created? Um, well, it's the, the one that is specific to digital nomads. The home base collection is coming out in September. You can see previews of it if you'd like to on our website. Uh, we make the best backpacks for urban travel, and this, this bag, this set of bags, has been designed specifically for digital nomads based on a year and a half of intense research. Some of us on the team designing it are, in fact, digital nomads, so designed by us for us, uh, and I think it's going to be a game changer for a lot of people who are living and working long term on the road, and that's been, that's been a lot of fun to contribute to. You know, that's a perfect segue for the rest of uh, the hour. Uh, we're talking about travel preparation and things is choosing your backpack and uh, preparing, figuring out the, the mental side of things, preparing yourself emotionally, preparing yourself relationally in terms of if your parents or siblings or uh, uh, friendships that you need to say goodbye to for a little bit, preparing yourself in terms of the practical necessities of finance, uh, stuff, etc. So um, I'm going to uh, open up the floor now. We've done all the intro introductions. Um, so. Why don't we open up the floor to travel preparation? Um, everyone here on the live show has done some big travel adventure. Maybe it's been five months, maybe it's been a year, maybe it's been 10 years, such as Jennifer. Maybe it's been a lifetime of travel, such as David. Um, so we're gonna, um, actually we just had a new guest join. Uh, before we get into travel preparation, we, we can actually in, in, uh, introduce our new guests. Um, this is Michael and Yvonne. They're actually uh, in the Caribbean as we speak. And actually, I want to do something uh, we haven't done yet on any of our previous 99 episodes. Michael, you have just turned 50. So everyone, unmute yourself, and we're actually going to sing, Michael, happy uh, 50th birthday. Okay, ready? OK, unmute yourself, so everyone. We're going to do a chorus, <laughs> unison, happy birthday. Ready? One, two, happy three, birthday two. Birthday to you. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. The wonders of technology. <laughs> that was one of the best digital nomad live stream happy birthdays I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> so Michael, you just turned 50 today, correct? Uh, we can't hear you, Michael. Uh, you gotta unmute yourself. Just unmute yourself. <clears throat> so uh, Michael actually is celebrating 50 years old today. He's just muted. Um, so when he unmutes himself, we'll be able to hear from him. Okay. We're gonna stand by and wait for him to unmute yourself. Uh, the, uh, by the way, in the live, uh, uh, we can unmute yourself. And uh, what, I, what I've been telling everyone is just to mute yourself while um, you're not speaking, just so there's no feedback or echoes. Um, so while they figure, that, figure out how to do that, let's go into the travel preparation side of things. And uh, uh, what, what did it take to prepare yourself for world travel? Who wants to jump in and share? Uh, we have some amazing guests on here, David, Jennifer, Jennifer one and two, <laughs> Jennifer Powell, Jennifer Miller, Curvin, uh, who's a Michael and Yvonne, uh, who are in the Caribbean. Olivia and Scott. 
Uh, we haven't heard from Scott in a little bit. Um, Scott, why didn't you share what it did to, to, to prepare yourself to travel the world? Well, I didn't really know when I was going to have my opportunity to travel around the world. And so, but I knew it was coming. So the last two years, 2015, 2016, I made uh, four trips down to Central and South America, and they were uh, both six weeks uh, long. And I figured if I was gone for six weeks, that's too short a time for Vancouver to collapse and fall into the ocean and disappear without me there to, to save it, and, uh, or my son to destroy the house that we lived in. And it was long enough for me to see what did I need that I forgot, what did I bring that I didn't need, and could I actually do my work, could I actually survive in places where English wasn't spoken by everyone. And uh, the result, of course, is now six months into 2017, I'm in Ukraine, where very few people speak English, and having a great time. So that's what I did to prepare. Cool. Well, um, you know, uh, I'm going to leave it up. Um, anyone want to share? And this can be much more of a dialogue. I'll ask each other questions. Go ahead. But uh, um, whoever wants to jump in next, what did it I'll take you in. to prepare? Leave everything to travel the world. Go ahead, Kurt. I'll jump in. Well, I was always traveling, so um, I would travel basically every weekend. Um, and my colleagues at work would always go with me. And one of them said, "Well, why do you even rent an apartment? You're never here." I was like, oh, okay, um, but I, I knew I wanted to leave the company, and but I was just waiting for the right time. So um, the company had a special package when they merged um, that allowed, they gave me a little cushion, um, and it also gave me uh, flight benefits so I could fly um, to see family and stuff like that. So that, that definitely helped. Um, I had some money saved up, uh, so that was there too. And I knew I had skills that I could use um, online uh, to help other people, and I could write books and things like that. So I guess it's basically um, knowing what your skill sets are that you can actually work um, from anywhere, and um, you know, saving up a little money, and um, and that's, that's probably the, the key things. Awesome. Uh, anyone else want to chime in here? Olivia, go ahead. Mine's kind of not a necessarily like a tangible thing, but one thing I found that really helped me to take action to actually make it, um, like to get into action, was the commitment. I found once I decided and started to tell the people around me, uh, people I work with or family, solutions started to come in of like how I was going to sell my stuff or like what I would do for work or maintaining my clients. So um, a big one I would say is like once you leap, the next step will kind of show up about how to do it. Because for me, I was thinking about it and kind of in anxiety of like, uh, but I was like, okay, I'm doing it, bought the ticket and then worked backwards from there, sold the stuff and things just seem to work out um, when you do take that leap. So a little side answer, but that really helped me. You know, you're right. Th things do um, end up working out once you take the leap. Like in my case, my, my friends were like, well, why don't you come stay with me? And then once all my friends figure out what I was doing, I end up having a whole list of places to stay. Um, and like I said, I have to get a calendar so people don't get upset with me. But uh, once you take the leap, things, things do work out. 
I would agree with um, both of you guys. I think we have a term we call trust and flow. And like Olivia, I think that once you start putting those sort of energy towards the fact that you're leaving, it's amazing how much the universe aligns. You know, we had the same thing. We're like, uh, where are we going to stay? And we had suddenly a friend who was gone for two months and said, you can stay at our house because we're going to be away. And we were like, okay. Um, we sold our house and the closing date was going to be really soon. And then she came back and said, well, actually, I don't care when you want to close. And we said, oh, what if it's a six-month close date? And then she's like, yeah, that's fine. And we're kind of sitting there going, how is this possibly happening so easily? Um, so what we realize is when you try and fight it, that's when it doesn't work. When you just let kind of things happen naturally and organically, that's when the beauty of the magic of the universe aligns and it all kind of, you know, we even found that when we were traveling, sometimes when we thought we were going to go to a specific place and we just let it flow, we ended up, you know, having amazing experiences along the way in Ecuador or Peru that we wouldn't have even thought about had we actually created like an itinerary and destination plan. So um, I think putting it in your mindset and just starting to tick off those boxes to get ready to go is a big way of prep. And then I think as you will all agree that whatever you think you should be taking, take a quarter of it because <laughs> we overpacked like crazy and we thought we'd called everything and yet it, we ended up packing way too much. Can I jump in? You bet. Okay. Um, because we travel um, long distances and on a variety of different airlines, one of our big challenges is the weight of our luggage. Um, I have to bring all my camera gear and now there are some rules in some airlines that <clears throat> you can't check uh, items or, or bring aboard anything with types of batteries. So the rules and regulations are changing all the time. So I have to be right up to date to the point of checking an airline's website the day before we go to the airport just to be sure I meet their requirements in terms of what's in my carry-on what are the weights and uh, because we tend to bring a lot of corporate casual stuff with us for being on cruise ships and then we also will travel on our own i have to be very careful in terms of not make, making sure i have everything i need for each type of travel it was really complicated for us and so roughly a week before we actually go to the airport we we spread our my wife's needs for what she needs, what I need. We spread it, spread it around the house. All my camera gear gets put on the floor behind me. That's going. And then upstairs, all my clothes for trekking and, and casual travel are put in one spot. And then all my, my gear to travel on cruise ships is in one other spot. So our house is a complete mess for a week. And then I have to plan for my lectures because we are always going to different ports of call all over the world. I have to sort of go through my own inventory of images and the, the good news is that um, we've traveled so much that most of these ports of call we've been to before so I pull out images to make it interesting for the guests on a cruise ship. When I teach or lecture on travel photography they're looking at something that they're about to see so that's a complicated thing. So. It's uh, a lot of work, um, and you know, uh, recently I was on, on board a ship and I pulled out my my dress shoes. <laughs> I brought two left shoes. <laughs> Do you realize how painful that is to walk around with two left shoes on? <laughs> 
I can't believe that happened. Anyway, that's a little anecdote. So for us, it's a very complicated um, uh, process of getting ready uh, because of the different styles of travel we do on the same trip. And uh, we still don't get it right. It's, it's, um, but you know, if you don't have it, you can buy it. That's our attitude. There you go. That's a great story. Thank you for sharing it, Dave. It makes me feel much better when I, I realize I only brought one of a pair of socks. Yvonne and uh, Mike, are you uh, able to join us now? I know you were muted earlier and had some tech issues. Uh, are you there? Yeah I, yeah, I think we got it figured out now. We Can you hear us? Hi, today. Uh, I'm sorry? <laughs> no, just joking. Thanks for joining us. Tell us about where are you and tell us a little bit about yourselves. Okay, well, uh, we're currently in, uh, on a small island uh, called Beckway. It's part of the uh, uh, Grenadine chains of uh, St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And we are currently house-sitting in a, a wonderful ocean view villa. Uh, we're basically on the island here for uh, seven months in total, uh, house-sitting different, uh, different homes. Uh, we've been... We've been uh, house-sitting full-time now for, for five years. We're basically retired from having to work for a living and uh, basically roaming around the globe. Yeah. So Mike retired at 44 <laughs> and uh, haven't really had to work since. So, so yeah. How does it feel to be 50? Um, it, it feels... Not much different than it did yesterday, to tell the <laughs> truth. So, uh, well, we'll find out tonight. We have, yeah, we have a big birthday party tonight. It, it might be a different story in the morn uh, tomorrow morning. We're actually uh, going over to a friend's place who has the exact same birthday as me. He's turning 70 today. So we're going to have a, uh, a combined happy 120-year uh, birthday celebration tonight. <laughs> so I might feel like 120 tomorrow morning. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Uh, why didn't you share a little bit about what did you need to prepare? What did it take mentally, emotionally, financially, logistically, practically to travel around the world as house sitters and uh, just traveling generally? Well, I, I guess for me, it was uh, the, the, the biggest challenge was uh, I have a, an engineering background. So I, I put a lot of time and effort into uh, going to university and building up an engineering career. And I think, I mean, we, we, we've always been travelers. We, we met traveling. Uh, 22 years ago, we were both uh, backpacking around the world and we uh, met each other in New Zealand. Um, that, that, uh, that came to an end when, when the finances uh, um, kind of dried up. So it was back to work in Vancouver where I worked uh, as a professional engineer uh, consulting for 20-something years. But uh, that whole time, we were still always looking at how we can... Uh, get back on the road again and to, so to answer your question the, the biggest challenge was uh, divesting myself of the, that identity that I uh, invested so heavily in being a you know professional engineer having a career and basically walking well not well in a way walking away from that that, that was probably the toughest part but um, the, the thing is once we made that decision we you know, it was October of uh, 2011. We'd made the decision that we were going to make a change. 
we're going to give ourselves six months to do it. And uh, um, like your previous guest was saying, it, it was amazing how the, the universe conspired to uh, help us out. And it's like the, uh, uh, the, the Joseph Con Campbell uh, quote, you know, uh, once you decide on, uh, on doing something, doors will appear where once there were only walls. And that was exactly the case for us. It seemed like the, the universe was conspiring uh, to help us out and, and get us going. Yeah, to add to that, once Mike had got over that he had to stay in his career, uh, everything moved very quickly forward. Uh, we emptied a four-bedroom house in six months. We rented it out. Uh, we, we initially traveled with a suitcase, full-size suitcase each. We now carry on with a carry-on each and a small backpack. And usually in warm climates, but we managed to do pretty well on that. So, but for us, it, the biggest step was making the decision we were going to change. And then once we'd made that decision, putting a plan together and taking steps towards it. And it all rolled into place very easily. Jennifer, what did it take you to do your epic trip from Europe to Africa? Walk us through that journey again. Uh, me? <laughs> Am I the one that took the epic trip? You did an incredible journey. Um, uh, yeah, the first year we traveled, we thought we would take off just for one year. Um, and it ended up turning into 10. But we set off to ride our bicycles from London, England to Africa and back with our kids. Uh, which we did. And the planning for that uh, with a family of four smallish children was a little different, uh, as you might imagine, than taking off in your 20s with boots and a backpack or as retired people. Um, we spent a full two years planning for that, you know, financially, logistically, getting the kids to where they could ride their bikes adequately. The youngest two were on trailer bikes, but the, the seven and nine year, or I'm sorry, the nine and 11 year old rode their bikes the entire 10,000 miles with bags themselves. Um, so there was a lot of test trips and sanity checks and making sure we had the best kinds of gear um, and preparing for that. Since then, we've done, you know, backpacking for a year in Southeast Asia. We've road tripped North and Central America pretty thoroughly, spent six months each in New Zealand and Australia in camper vans with our kids. So the way you, and you know, now they're nine months in a sailboat, uh, the way you pack for different journeys has to ebb and flow. You know, there's not one way to get it done. I'm pretty committed to the carry-on only uh, method when I'm flying because I don't like to be annoyed and inconvenienced by airlines. Um, but, you know, there's lots of ways to get things done. And I think finding the way that works best for you and then not overthinking it with what other people are doing is probably a good place to start. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, what an amazing trip you guys did. Uh, we just had someone new join us, uh, Dan Morris, who's actually the founder of uh, Dan, why didn't you share a little bit about your background and what is Blogging Concentrated? Share with the sake of the viewers and the listeners. Dude, can you hear me? Yes, that is good news. And I see Jennifer Powell. Like, How come we don't get you just chat one-on-one, -on -one, me and Jen? Because I haven't talked to her in a long time. And I love her. She's the best. Okay, so blogging concentrated is pretty much a traveling blogging workshop, really. Um, we travel all over the world, put it on uh, workshops, and we use the workshops to finance the travel. 
So for instance, we wanted to go to New Zealand. So we put together, um, we put together seven events in uh, 14 days in New Zealand and we sold tickets to the events and the tickets paid for the trip. And um, it's a great way to kind of finance your way around the world. But also from a business standpoint, that's how we get exposure. That's how we create, create fans and um, run everything that we run. So uh, I don't think we started out necessarily as a travel company. We really started out as how do we teach bloggers how to make money? Um, but it just sort of morphed into that. We figured going to small places uh, was better than having everyone come to us. And it was better for our psyche and our, our desire to travel and have adventure. Um, so that's sort of what we have become. Awesome. And we'll definitely find a lot more about uh, blogging concert and how people can use a blog to finance their travels. Um, since we're talking about travel preparation, one of the big decisions we need to do is, uh, you know, uh, take a camera along to capture the moments. Uh, either you take a smartphone, a tablet, a laptop, a DSLR, uh, point and shoot. Uh, so David is an expert in the area of travel photography. He's been doing it for his whole life. Uh, how do you choose a good camera when you're traveling? Uh, David, you're just muted, by the way. Unmute yourself. Oh, there. There we go. Can you hear me now? Okay. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there are lots of weight restrictions on airlines. And um, some airlines actually force you to weigh your carry-on bag. So a consideration for me is the weight of the camera gear. And do I really want to put $4,000 worth of camera gear in my check luggage? It's a dilemma. So I tend to go really lightweight. Um, I, um, I, I bring uh, several cameras with me, but they're all small. Of course, my, my, my new cell phone, which is an incredible camera, I'm going to pull out my other one, which is somewhere here. Here it is. <clears throat> and this is actually my lead camera. Um, <clears throat> I don't carry my big heavy SLRs and lenses, although I do bring with me a mirrorless SLR camera, which is smaller and lighter weight, and it matches all my big fancy lenses. So it's like an SLR, but lighter and smaller. Uh, but I, I find that the technology today is so good in terms of lightweight devices that this is it. They both fit in my pocket. So I've given up on the, sure, I forego some quality. I forego sensor size. But these, these new technologies are incredible. Uh, this is the Olympus Tough, which is my go-to camera. They just released a brand new one, which shoots in 4K video. This is underwater, waterproof. You can drop it, and it shoots in RAW. So this is my preferred camera. My wife has one as well. Hers is red, mine is black. And um, this cell phone um, um, is... Um, I'm learning more about it. I just got it, and it has a lot of features. This is the LG G5 cell phone. They just released the G6, and it has two cameras. So um, the quality of my output is very high, and I, it's lightweight. So now when I go on an airline, I'm not really worried about the weight of my carry-on. There's no way I'm going to check these in my luggage. and if the way the industry's going is, um, you know, at some point, uh, 
with the battery restrictions and the the fact that these could be terrorist devices and all of this uh, it's uh, really frustrating to to travel with camera gear so that's my choice to go lightweight and no more tripods in my luggage i can uh, get high quality pictures by increasing my iso my sensitivity of my sensor to light to get a faster shutter speed and low light so tripods are not part of my life although I do bring this one this is a gorilla tripod this is really designed for an SLR camera you can get smaller ones like this where you can put your small cameras on and grab put this onto a railing or just on a desktop um, on a wall or, or a wall um, ledge and you can get good photography interestingly um, I used this on a photograph I shot in Venice of the Grand Canal, and I just, I just sold, sold the image. I licensed it to uh, a, um, a uh, what do you call that, jigsaw puzzle manufacturer in Australia. <laughs> so uh, no fancy stuff, and it, uh, it's, um, the technology today really makes it easy to travel with your cameras. One of my favorite subjects is selfies. And I, uh, have, <laughs> I promised to do this from the interview with you, Rick, a few days ago, but I haven't yet. Um, I actually produced a multimedia slideshow of people doing selfies of themselves around the world, which is kind of fun. <laughs> so uh, I promised to upload that today. So um, that, that's, where, that's where I'm at in terms of the camera world. And as each new development happens, um, devices get smaller and lighter without sacrificing a lot of quality. You get these purists that say, well, you gotta have a full sensor, big heavy camera, go for it. If you're 20 years old, which I'm not, and you wanna carry that all around the world, go for it, but I don't, I go lightweight and um, just, understand where the technology is that enables to do that so that's that's a thumbnail is that what you were looking for rick yeah absolutely that was awesome uh, and we'll ask you a, a few questions in a minute uh, thomas just joined us actually from a fall places saudi arabia and uh you know uh, we had a great episode with him about life and work in saudi arabia do you want to do a quick introduction episode but uh people around the world watching as well go ahead thomas yeah, hi, my name is Thomas. I'm a German and I'm living for seven years already in Saudi Arabia and I try to travel in my free time and my vacation time all over the world. Uh, you can share more, share more about your travels and uh, you know, what brought you to Saudi Arabia? Okay, um, I was uh, lucky enough to um, get hired by a headhunter to work here for Airbus, the airplane company. And um, usually I try to take off uh, 20 new places or new countries worldwide. So I can do around 30 countries in a year. Inside of that, um, I uh, love to do marathons and triathlons. And um, I try to combine both, uh, both hobbies. For example, I go to Iraq, to Erbil. And a friend of mine who is going to join, he likes to... Uh, me that I will run a marathon in Erbil, and um, I'm a little bit uh, scared about that. So 
most likely I will not do that. Just I will go to Erbil and um, try to survive. But next year, there's my ambitious plan. I want to run a marathon in North Korea and um, in Pyongyang. I think for three or four years, they run um, this kind of event. And in April, um, there's a marathon in Pyongyang in the capital of North Korea. Amazing, amazing. So uh, we've been talking about travel preparation and uh, pretty much everything I shared. What did it take you to leave Germany? I mean, you're a German digital nomad living in Saudi Arabia. What are the chances, you know? There are probably not a lot of uh, Germans living in Saudi Arabia, but tell us a, a more about the story. What made you leave Germany? What did it take you in terms of the mental preparation, the emotional preparation, the practical preparation to leave Germany behind? Uh, for me, the situation was like that. I served in the German army for 12 years, and then I had the kind of, let's say, gap year. And in this period of time, I um, made contact with uh, different headhunters and also tried to find a normal civil job. And uh, I got hired because of my army background. I was in my army duties already in Afghanistan and Kosovo, and let's say in war zones. So they were looking for a person with such a profile. So I said, okay, I'm already experience in traveling. I lived and worked in, let's say, dangerous environment. So I thought Saudi would be similar, so I could easily adapt. And when I came here to, to Saudi, uh, it was quite different from, from Europe. Um, I think it was, it was better or it's better than Afghanistan. Here, no one is trying to kill me proactively, I must say. Maybe only the daily traffic to work. Um, but I got adjusted to that already. And um, for the last seven years, every two years, I try to extend my contract. And so I can uh, travel um, any free minute that I have. Um, for example, my next trip will lead me in beginning of September to um, Liberia, uh, Guinea, Guinea-Conakry to be precise, um, to, uh, Cote d'Ivoire. Ivory Coast and Sierra Leone. I mean, uh, that are four new uh, countries that I'm going to visit. Um, yeah. I mean, I come back from travels and I already plan the next one, the next ones uh, with getting new visa. Uh, even as a passport holder, you need still around 30 visas for um, different countries. Um, but it's always really challenging to, to get uh, the through. Awesome, thanks Thomas for sharing. I think a lot of us uh, want to go to Saudi Arabia, uh, so we'll be definitely finding uh, different uh, uh, ways people can get there, either working like you are, traveling, um, um, and you know, just uh, we'll find out more about life in Saudi. Uh, so getting back to uh, travel photography, I think that's a very important area of travel because a lot of us want to capture the moment. Uh, David shared about uh, some of the ways that he and the devices he uses. I would love to share from the other people on the episode here, what kind of cameras do you use? Is it a smartphone? Is it a tablet? Is it a DSLR? Uh, point and shoot, um, uh, Kervin, Scott, Thomas, uh, Yvonne, Michael. Uh, who wants to chime in? What kind of cameras are you guys using? I'll chime in. Um, I use uh, S8, Samsung uh, Galaxy S8 somewhere here, uh, and it, it works really well. They, they just redid the camera on it, so um, it, it's pretty amazing. It does really well in low light, uh, 
and I, it's very easy to, it's like David was saying, it's very easy, it fits in your pocket, um, and I've had no issues with it. It has a, a selfie flash, which is pretty interesting how it works. I don't know how it works. works. Um, and that's all I take with me. I also have a, a 360-degree Samsung 360, uh, which is a little bulky, but um, I'm still learning how to use it. So I've taken a bunch of images and stuff with it. But um, I haven't posted any yet because I don't think I did it right. So I have to uh, experiment with that. But that's that's what I did. Awesome. I'll jump in. Go ahead, Scott. I use a Olympus Mark V something, something, something. And uh, I I made the mistake of I you know, like I didn't do any internet research on it. I actually went to a camera shop and told the guy what I wanted, and he sold me this. And then after I got this, I started looking at reviews, and a lot of the reviews were it wasn't really going to do what I wanted it to do. And so then I was a little bit upset. And then when I started using it, because it's way more advanced than what I know and and probably need I love it because I do a lot of video and I find that this with my tripod so I'm the opposite of David I, I actually bought a tripod in London because I was just getting so frustrated with the teeny weeny tripod that I bought and uh, so I find that I use this in my iPad to take pictures I don't have a phone and the iPad people love those pictures but they really, really like the pictures that I take with this. And I don't know if this just makes me more confident or, or what, but I really love having this. And I hate that I have to take it all apart and kind of have different pieces in my knapsack in different places. So it takes them a while to figure out if I actually have a camera in there or not, because uh, like David says, the, the rules and everything are, are changing and they're getting more strict, which is a real, real shame. So that's what I use, and I, I love both the iPad and my, my, my big DSLR. And I actually bought a, a telephoto lens that I didn't have and had it shipped to me, which was a little bit of an experience because I wasn't actually sure where I was going to be where, when, it, when, when it actually arrived in Europe. And, uh, and I just love having that as well. So uh, I find that I'm able to really get close to a lot of like I'm in um, Odessa right now, and there are statues on the third floor of all the buildings. And so, like, I can get them this big, or I can get them this big with my telephoto. And so, I'm really enjoying being able to get up close without actually having to be up close. Awesome, uh, Yvonne and Micah, you're over there in the Caribbean, one of the most beautiful parts of the world. And obviously, you want to capture the beauty of the Caribbean, the sun, the sea. The the surf, the sand. How do you do it? Well, we um, we have a we have a couple cameras. I have a um, a mirrorless Panasonic uh, that I that I really like. But I think really what it comes down to, like what was alluded to before, is what are you planning on on doing with it? Um, we we've done some uh, we shot some webinars to promote uh, a book we've done with uh, International Living and had to uh, record video. So having a having a camera with the tilt LCD screen so you can put it on the tripod and watch yourself while you're shooting is a, a really um, good feature. Yes, the tripod was worth its weight in gold. <laughs> the, um, the, the other thing, you know, if you're shooting video, audio quality can be uh, a bit of a challenge. So um, 
that, that's one thing with my next camera. I'd be looking at something where I can put a uh, an audio, something that has an audio jack, so I can have a have decent uh, sound quality. Because that seems to be a yeah. real real challenge is getting decent uh, um, decent sound quality from with a video. Uh, but really, being full time travelers and also being travelers who travel with uh, carry on luggage only, uh, weight is definitely an issue. So it's that that is. That's the primary driver with us. I mean, I have a little Sony RX um, um, 100, which which I absolutely love. It's just a little point and shoot, but it has a really good glass. It has a, a decent sensor. You can shoot raw, and uh, it it just does does a wonderful job. Love it. So that's that's about that's my two cents worth. Awesome. Uh, Thomas, you're in uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, I think uh, a lot of people haven't been there. It's a hard country to get into. So how do you capture it for the sake of us who haven't been there yet to watch it on social media and your blog, etc.? Tell us how you capture the beauty of Saudi Arabia through photography. Okay. First of all, it's really hard to capture the beauty here. Uh, okay. But it's amazing sunrises and sunsets. Okay. I use iPhone 7. For, uh, for social media and especially when I travel around, um, when I go to parties or cafes, um, because I'm always looking for Wi-Fi. And um, I also use for more day trips and when I go for a morning run, um, what is it, uh, Lomix, uh, I think it's from, uh, what is it? Um, it's waterproof. That was um, really essential for me, so I go for, um, can go for uh, snorkeling and uh, can use it also when um, in, in snow. Um, yeah, that's it basically. I'm not that photographer, even I was working as a photo journalist before, but uh, I don't find that really handy. And um, if you want to capture photographs from uh, locals worldwide, then uh, they always see then uh, that you want to shoot them. Uh, so I want to, make sneak photographs, so let's put it like that, so you capture them in the moment, that it's easier with the phone or with a little, little cam. Awesome, and uh, we haven't heard from Dan yet. Uh, Dan, uh, tell us about how you take pictures when you're doing, uh, you do workshops around the world, uh, uh, blogging concentrated workshops in North America, Europe, uh, I know you've done them in New Zealand, and uh, much more. Tell us about what, what you do to capture the moments. We use a Canon PowerShot for everything. It's just a small, small little camera. And um, let me grab this. And we use this little, this little tripod adapter right here that X-Shot makes. You can put on any tripod and it holds, it holds the camera. So we could the iPhone inside of here or the Samsung because Rachel and I both have uh, she has an iPhone Samsung but Canon and this attaches you know vertically or horizontally to pretty much pretty much anything and I can secure this uh, to like to like a uh, a railing you know on a porch or something and then uh, attach my camera to it so I, I always have I always have something to hold it but but otherwise Rachel is more of the photographer on the trips, and most of the time, I just point at stuff. I'm like, "Hey, take a picture of that," because <laughs> because I will tell you that there is something inside people that gives them the ability to see 
the angles or the beauty or something that I think eclipses whatever camera that you use. And I, I do not have whatever that is. If I take a picture of a leaf, it looks like a leaf on a sidewalk. If Rachel takes a picture of a leaf on a sidewalk, it looks like something you should frame. Like, I, I, I don't have whatever that is, so I don't think it matters. Like, if I got the best camera in the world, I think you still have to have whatever that is, that's something special that enables you to see whatever it is that you people see when you take a picture. Because mine just look like pictures. Dan, can I, or, or Rick, can I jump in? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, Dan, you're absolutely right. Everybody's concentrated many on what camera they're using and all of that. It's all about light and composition. Uh, you don't have to have a magic camera to get good photographs. It's all about the angle that you point it, what's in the background, the rules of composition, and in particular, light. So uh, that's something I teach a lot about in my travels and in my workshops. I actually force people to just simply move their position a bit so the subject has better light on them, or you move your subject. So it's... Uh, you're, uh, I'm really glad that you mentioned that, uh, Dan, because that is so true. Um, the simplest yeah. camera in the world can generate award-winning images. I'll tell you, I'll send you this video that I think you should add to your workshops. And it's, um, it's two musicians playing a children's guitar and a children's keyboard in like a toy store. We're talking about like like a three-string guitar that is just for kids. It's pink. It's small. But they're playing the most amazing popular music on these things. They turn, I mean, they, they have the ability, because of their skill, to, to take the smallest, dumbest little toy instrument and make beautiful music out of it. Um, I think that would be a good example for your class, because I, I tell you, I, I, could take, I could take Cameron's, you know, the best camera in the world, and my pictures will still look like a leaf on a sidewalk. So, <laughs> I just uh, I think you, you guys have something special. I don't have it. I'm okay with it. I just tell Rachel, take a picture of that. Uh, David, you're muted if you wanted to say something. And Dan, I'll put my email in the, the comments on the right side here, and you can uh, send that link to me. Oh, yeah. People will love it because it's, <laughs> it's very telling of what you can do if you're good. Awesome. So we've covered photography quite a bit. Uh, we are in the second hour of our three-hour broadcast, by the way. Uh, just a quick summary of what we're doing. Uh, so we're doing a three-hour live stream to celebrate episode number 100. Hour one was all about travel preparation. Episode, uh, hour two is all about travel experiences. And hour three is all about travel monetization. So let's uh, get into the whole travel experiences. We travel to experience the world, the different cities, the different countries, the different continents, different cultures, the food, uh, the sightseeing, the monuments, the beauty of the nature and the sea and uh, the tra transport and all this. So many different experiences that we savor as digital nomads. So I'd love to hear from our guests today about uh, some of your favorite travel experiences. It appears that I'm the only one who's unmuted. <laughs> so, are you still talking, Ricky? Take, take it away, Dan. Okay. Take it away, Dan. My favorite travel experiences are totally outside of any of the touristy stuff. I, I will say, I like to see the touristy stuff. I like to have it in my head. Like, I'd like to walk by the Taj Mahal. 
like to see it, have it in the head. But then my favorite is always going to someone's house and eating whatever they eat, like the regular food. Just see how they normally live because uh, everything else is just sort of just sort of fake, you know? I mean, how many things can you buy that are made out of seashells around the world? You know, like every single place in the world has their favorite bird made out of seashells or a shrimp made out of seashells. Like, it's like, you just, that's not travel. That's just touristy stuff. Um, you know, in Jamaica, we hired a, a driver and he took us, you know, into the, into these little villages. We ended up staying there and just eating whatever they ate, you know. I, I saw I saw cashews growing on a tree. You ever seen that? A cashew growing on a tree? Yeah, that's not on the beach. You gotta go in. You know, we saw them some guy that, that owned a coffee plantation took us, you know, to see like how they actually harvested and then spent all this time explaining after they harvested, what do they do with all the leftover stuff? How do they reuse every single part of the coffee plant in order to make money? Uh, so for me, I, I just want to see real life stuff when I travel. I don't, I don't, I, I don't really care about the touristy stuff as long as I, as long as I get it and it's in my head and I can move on. I, otherwise, I just don't need to be there. Hmm. Awesome, Dan. Uh, any announcement to chime in about your favorite yeah. city? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have to chime in because what what Dan said really resonated with me because. Uh, I went to Machu Picchu and I loved it. I mean, it was amazing. But I stayed for a week, 30 miles outside of Machu Picchu. And the highlight of the whole trip was when the, uh, the gentleman, he was actually from England, he had married a Peruvian uh, lady and they had a daughter. But he took me on a hike in his neighborhood and we ended up walking along a one foot wide path that had a basically a thousand foot drop on one side and it went up. I don't know. I didn't look to see how high up it went to the top of the mountain in the Andes on the other side. And we walked along this thing for about a quarter of a mile. And then we got to this lookout and we could see the whole valley and everything else. And it was spectacular and totally different than, than being on top of Machu Picchu, which was also spectacular, but just doing that with him because this was one of his favorite walks was to me was just like mind blowing. So I totally agree with you, Dan, when you can actually get in and be with the people that are living there day in, day out, and not be in the real super touristy places, that's, uh, that's when you feel the life of the, of the country or the city of the area that you're in. And that's what makes it all really worthwhile for me. That's all I have sure. to say about that. <laughs> We actually have um, similar insights because we house sit all the time. We get to live in people's houses and we get introduced to the neighbors. And one of our favorite experiences was having a, being invited to the neighbor's house for a Christmas Eve roast suckling pig dinner with all the family. There was like 20 people there and the table was laden with you know, fine linen and all crystal glasses and fancy plates and everything and it was great we were just accepted into the family as if we belonged as if, as if we'd been there forever and that that made our christmas and yeah. that was just just one of the things we experienced by doing the house sitting i think another one was yeah and by the way that was in uh that was in barbados, in barbados over, yes. over christmas just to set yeah. the stage yeah 
Yeah, so that's just, just one example. But we've done the touristy stuff as well. The, probably the most favorite touristy one is the trip to the Galapagos we squeezed in last year between houses, which was very, very cool. No Tell us about the Galapagos. I think that's a big bucket list item for many people around the world to see uh, the big turtles and uh, to see where Darwin, uh, you came up with the origin of the species and just to savor the beauty of Ecuador. So tell us more about Galapagos. Okay, well, Galapagos, we had, we were in Ecuador already. We were doing a couple of house sits and we didn't want to go the normal routine. Most people are a lot of tourists. They'll pay big money. They fly into the island. They get put up, picked up by a boat. They do a week tour or a five-day tour and then they get taken back to the airport and they fly out. So what we did was we booked our flights into the islands and we had two weeks there and we spent part of it land-based in Puerto Ayoro, Ayora, mm -hmm. which is the um, biggest central population and just walking around town there are sea lions laying on the dock nursing their pups. You know there's uh, pelicans everywhere, there's sharks swimming in, in the bay, there's wet rays swimming in the bay. The, the sea lions um, go and nudge the, the fishermen when they're gutting the catch to give them the guts. That, you know, everybody just lives side by side. It's a very unique experience just being there. And then what we did also, we waited last minute and we booked a tour. So we actually did a western itinerary. We had a, an eight-day tour of the western itinerary islands. And we got it for about a quarter of the listed price. I think we booked it 10 days out. And so we actually got to experience the Galapagos by living on, on the island itself and doing a lot of exploring on foot and then actually going and doing the, the touristy thing with the guides and everything. But snorkeling with sea lions, snorkeling with turtles, pelicans. Sharks, manta rays. It, it, it's it's penguins. like it, it's flamingos like, and penguins. Yeah, yeah, flamingos <laughs> and penguins in the same day is it's really uh, the Galapagos are really uh, it's like Disneyland with wild animals. It, it is it is truly a spectacular part mm -hmm. of the world. It it is it is remote and it is expensive to travel there, but it's uh, like you say, it's a bucket list item that we're certainly glad that we were able to uh, take off the list this year. It was it it really was uh, we. We've traveled to what about seventy countries between the two of us, and it's definitely one of those uh, adventures that's uh, that's a highlight and, and it stands out. It's yeah, it was amazing. definitely one of those things that's been on the bucket list for a while. So glad I went. I'm actually tempted to go back and do the eastern itinerary this time and see the other islands. But absolutely stunning, and the wildlife is indeed that tame. You know, we you'd sit and stop on the trail, and I actually have video of two sea lion pups as close as Michael is to me. They just come up and they don't care. You're not a danger to them. They just come and sniff you. So it's very cool. Uh, awesome, any announcement to share? Go ahead, Karen. Yeah, um, I, I, Dan, I'm from Jamaica, so I totally understood what you were talking about there. <laughs> so yeah, that, that, that totally makes a lot of sense. Now, when, see, when I travel, there's kind of two sides of this. There are people who, they've saved their entire lives to see the Eiffel Tower. And they want to go do the touristy stuff. Or, you know, they, they want to go to London and do all that stuff. They want to go to all the big cities and see that stuff. And that's cool. I was just in um, Dublin, and there were people, like uh, my friend who showed me around, he showed me this bar. He said, this is the most touristy bar in town. So I said, great, I'm going to go there later. And I just watched people, and they were happy. 
they were listening to Irish music in a bar, they were drinking the Guinness, they were dancing to Irish music. And this is, the, this is what they want to do on their particular vacation. So there is room for that. Um, I, I do something about unfamiliar destinations right now. And um, it's kind of like after you've gone and done the Paris and done the London and all those, then you go see the stuff that's unfamiliar. And sometimes unfamiliar is not, it's like right under your nose. Um, as I was telling Rick in my interview that I did, when you go into Paris, you fly into the, the airport is in a, a city called uh, Rossi, Charles de Gaulle, and uh, Rossi en France actually. And that's actually a really cool town. It's an old historic town and it's very French. You can go by your baguette down the street at the little bakery um, and you meet real French people there. So. You can do that right on your nose. Same thing with Rome. Um, and I like to walk, so I'll just walk. The, the bad thing about it is I'll buy a bus ticket for like an all-day pass, and I'll never use it because I just start walking everywhere. It's like here in Limerick, I think I walked for about three hours without knowing it, and I had no idea where I was going. I was just walking. And then eventually I go, well, maybe I should try to get back to the hotel now. So it's different for everyone, and I appreciate it that people can do the touristy stuff and enjoy it, and then go do the off the beaten path stuff and enjoy it. Awesome, some amazing stories so far. Uh, anyone else wanna share about some of the highlights? Uh, there are literally dozens and dozens, and if, if not hundreds, if not thousands of uh, amazing experiences. Anyone else wanna share? I'll tell you. My favorite place on earth so far is this little bar and it's uh it's on these rocks on the outside of the castle in Dubrovnik, Croatia. Now when you go to Dubrovnik, everybody goes to this castle. And I before I went, maybe a year before that, I found a an article in a traveler magazine about this bar. And apparently, and this is true, there's really only one sign to find this place. And it's a hole. It's a hole in the wall. you got to walk through the wall of, of the castle to get to the outside. And to find it, that takes, that takes a little work, um, and which is good. You know, that's the fun part, exploring the city. But I, but I tell you, you really got to really gotta, gotta look to find this sign. And then when you pop out, you're, you're sitting there and you're looking at the Mediterranean, I think is the Adriatic at that point. Um, and you can see like the curvature of the earth, you know, when you look out. And it just so happened that Michael Douglas and uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones were in their yacht, like just, just right outside this castle wall, like a hundred yards and they were swimming off of their boat. And I was sitting there, and I, I was drinking a Coca-Cola, and my buddies were, were drinking beer or something. And I was just thinking, man, I wonder if this is what it's like to be rich. Like, just sitting on, that, on this wall, on the outside of a castle, with absolutely nothing to do, hanging out with the uber-wealthy, swimming like right below you. And then there was these kids, and I don't exactly understand how they did this, but they made a polo court in the water, water polo, like right down off the, I don't even understand how the ropes stay where they stay. Like they were just sort of there and they were playing water polo. And it was just like local kids that were playing polo. 
And I, I just remember, man, that was just so cool sitting on the outside of that castle. And I, I, it, it was touristy, you know, the castle's like a touristy place. But for me, I felt like, you know, there's only like four other people in this bar. And if you went to the main street in Dubrovnik, heck, there were, you know, 100,000 people. So I don't know. I just felt cool. It's still my favorite place. I don't even know why it's my favorite, but that was a good day. <laughs> and uh, Ellie is joined as well herself in a second. But uh, what we're doing today is we're uh, doing a three-hour live stream. Uh, we've already covered travel preparation. Now we're tra covering travel experiences. And in hour number three, we'll be talking about travel monetization, how to make money while traveling the world. And uh, since everyone uh, one of my uh, best experiences was actually this year on this current uh, Daddy Blogger World Tour. Um, I actually turned 40 this year. I think our, one of our guests actually turned 50. Oh, thank you. 50 uh, years old this year. And one of my big bucket list items was to do an animal safari. I, I've loved animals ever since I was young, and I've seen them in the zoo. But I really wanted to do a safari where I got to see animals outside of the cages. And, uh, you know, uh, this year, on February 12, 2017, which is my birthday, I was in Kruger National Park, which is one of the most famous game parks in the world in South Africa. And uh, it was actually very emo emotional. I was actually in tears that I, I was living the dream um, in South Africa, a few meters away, these amazing animals, elephants, giraffes, uh, hippos, buffaloes, rhinos, the big five. And... And it was such an incredible experience, not just because I shared it uh, by myself, but because the most important people in my life were there with me. Uh, my lovely wife, Anne, and my three wonderful kids, Rianne, Ryan, and Renzo. And, and uh, it's so hard to describe the feeling when a bucket list dream comes true. And uh, the only way I could describe it was tears. Uh, because uh, that's what happens is the rush of emotion uh, wells you up and uh, literally uh, it leaves you speechless and uh, one of my favorite quotes about travel is that travel and then it turns you into a storyteller and uh, you know in our travels that, that happens so many times I mean it was uh, when we were in Iguazu Falls which is the world's waterfalls um, Brazil it's actually straddling the, the Brazilian Argentinian Border. And I'm from, and in Canada, we have the Niagara Falls, in Ontario Falls, in Venezuela, the Angel Falls. But uh, these waterfalls blew me away because uh, I've seen a lot of waterfalls in my life. And uh, as travelers, you kind of get a little bit jaded. Oh, it's just another beach, just another waterfall, just another uh, church, just another mountain. But when I walked uh, to these waterfalls and I just saw the massive expanse, Again, it just blew me, it floored me. And I was actually recording it, and I actually couldn't talk when I was recording uh, as I came into the waterfalls. And I'll, uh, uh, you know, if you want, I can share that video, but it's on YouTube. And as I was recording with my iPhone that waterfall, I was just like speechless. And I, uh, uh, I mean, that's why we travel to have these experiences. Uh, those are ones that stood out for me uh, Iguazu Falls and. Uh, in South Africa doing animal safari and uh, there's so much more to go and that's why I keep traveling uh, to experience the beauty of this world that we all live in. Uh, so Eleni is actually over there in Spain. She's from Vancouver uh, like a few of us here on the show and uh, she just joined us so uh, she's actually been to over 100 countries and it's amazing. She actually has a world map, a good background choice over there in Spain. Uh, tell us about uh, your travels. Uh, uh, tell us about yourself and your travels, Eleni. 
Yeah, thanks, Ricky, for having me here. I, I love thinking back, like, that's the question I always get, like, did you always want to see every country in the world, or, like, how, how did the 100 come about? And the answer was, like, it, it didn't. It never did. It was, you know, one of those, I was raised in the culture where women's supposed to be in the kitchen, subservient, and end up like a secretary or something. So it was never a big dream or a big goal. It was never taught to dream, never taught to have big goals, just kind of stay quiet, don't disrupt, you know, don't break any rules, don't make any waves, just stay quiet. And I guess with like time, with role models, with people like yourself being super supportive and, you know, people saying like, yeah, go break the rules, go, go be different. You know, that different doesn't have to mean black sheep, that different can be really inspiring sometimes, and that there's a whole club of different, I mean, all of you here included, there's a whole club of different out there that it just took some time for us to find each other. Um, so, like, I traveled a bit. I used to work with Doctors Without Borders in the UN, so that helped me expand my horizons, see different countries, and and just one day, it, like, it was a 10-year anniversary of an around-the-world trip that I had done in 2005. I think I was at 39 or 40 countries and I just thought well I'm gonna take my business my it had become online by then um, I'm gonna take it around the world see see what happens you know if it doesn't work I'll just go home uh, wherever home is and so I, I was in a country a week um, and I just kept going and then the numbers started adding up and um, at some point, you know, you see 60, 80, and then you get to that big 100. And like you said, like you just, you can't hold the tears in. Like they, they ooze out of everywhere and just a mix, right, of, of joy and of sorrow. You think of all the people who don't have the advantages we had or the people who had the same advantages but chose differently. So, yeah, rumble of emotions. And so now I've chosen, after having checked out about 100 places, I've chosen Spain as my home. And um, I actually, when I was thinking about you in this live celebration, like 100 podcasts, people from all over the world having been all over the world, uh, there was um, a picture that I grabbed on my phone that I wanted to share. And it's actually not a travel picture, because you're talking about how can you travel and work at the same time, right? How can you travel and sustain yourself? So I, I wonder if this mm -hmm. would show. I think it would if I put it on the screen. So it's like a Venn diagram. It's actually not some fancy travel photo. It's just a Venn diagram. And like when people ask me, well, okay, sure, I'll, I'll do an online business. Where do I start? How do I start? What, like, there's like 10 million questions. It's so overwhelming. So that diagram had five simple factors. You know, the, the love factor. You gotta love what you're doing. Like just hearing you talk and like gathering us, it wouldn't have happened if you didn't love what you were doing. Um, but love isn't enough. You know, you've got all these coaches out there or mentors saying, you gotta love what you do, make a life you love. Like, yes, that's great. And um, you know, there needs to be talent. You know, you've got all, you know, you need to be talented at what you do. You make a life you love. Um, yes, it takes time. And it's uh, not easy, but that talent piece has to be there. You can't just love something, but not cultivate the mastery and be really become really good at it. Um, the third, so that's love, talent. The third piece is profit. You see so many people who start an online business and it's not profitable. And like, 
it's a hobby. You know, like let's name it what it is. If it's not profitable, it's not a business, it's a hobby. So for it to be a sustainable online business that can fuel your life, that can get you into Career National Park, it has to be profitable. Um, that's three, four is need. You know, does the world need it? Sure, there's fads of gadgets and things for babies and for dogs, and but does the world really need it? You know, like really, really need your product and your service or your inspiration or your talents. Is the need there? That's four. And the last one is sustainability. You know, we see all these businesses start and crash because it's not sustainable. They don't have a support team or partners like what you and Scott are doing, like partnering up. So love, talent, profitability, need, sustainability. So when you find kind of the, the intersection of all five or when you create it, if it's not out there and you can't find it, then you create it from scratch. I think that's, that's what I've seen, not just myself, but the people who have thrived, that's how I've seen them do it. Uh, what a great elaboration. Thanks for breaking it down so well, um, Eleni. Uh, that's the proper way to pronounce it, right, Eleni? Eleni. Uh, so, Eleni, uh, tell us about uh, one of your uh, major highlights. I shared mine, and uh, most of our guests have shared uh, about uh, one of their experiences that really uh, moved them emotionally. Uh, tell us about uh, some of your favorite experiences out of the 100-plus countries you've gone oh to. Oh, my gosh. I know. As I was listening to you, I was like, I, I figured you would ask me that and like to pick just one and share it in a few minutes. Um, but I think it would have to be um, country 104th. That's the last one. Actually, 103 in um, El Salvador, San Salvador. And I was there. I was wanted to go to a hike on top of uh, Cerro Verde, on top of a volcano, because I heard that in the crater there was a, a lagoon. And it was Christmas morning, so I mean everything would be shut. And like, I didn't think about that. I just thought, I'll just go. I'll just climb. But you need like a security officer to climb with you, a guide, permission, all that stuff. And my Airbnb host actually, I don't know how pulled it off, found a park ranger, um, found a driver, put me in a car, we zipped there. Um, we got there and there was another French couple. They were just setting off, like within about 20 seconds of us arriving, they were about to take off. So we joined them just at the right time. And I saw my driver kind of hand the park ranger like some cash to be like, will you take this thing, little thing with you? <laughs> So we hiked for four hours, we got to the top, and there, like there you see all the other volcanoes, you see this gorgeous emerald lagoon at the bottom pit, like you just inundated with nature. And I think like me, this like small little person that was supposed to be a secretary or stuck in the kitchen cooking some guy their meals, I did this. Like not, but not on my own, with my soul sisters, with my entrepreneurial brothers, with all my, you know, soul family, not just DNA family. That it's like, it is about the journey, and sometimes it's also about the destination. You're just standing on top of the world, literally on the top of a volcano, watching the other volcanoes smoke, and and four hours. That was quite a climb. So like, you reach a peak where. You just let it all go, and oh, it was, I'll never forget it, to be at the top of the hill, to have known, like, no matter how many people support you, 
you got to do it on your own sometimes. You got to face your own fears. You got to get uncomfortable. And, and when you have, it's so much more rewarding. Like if some helicopter had just picked me and dropped me there, it, it wouldn't have been the same, you know, to have done it yourself, gone through the, the battle and the churning and the, <laughs> like the overcoming of your fears that uh, made it 10 million times more rewarding. Uh, so beautiful. I definitely want to head over there as well. I think we will be early next year to Central America. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, we just have uh, Suzanne who just joined uh, from uh, Vancouver. She was actually in Bali when I interviewed her and uh, she's going to share a little bit about herself uh, for the sake of the people listening and watching. Go ahead, Suzanne. Um, you're actually muted. If you can unmute yourself, please. Okay, unmute. Can you hear me now? Yes, go ahead. Go ahead, Suzanne. Me? Okay, good. Hi, everybody. Hey, Ricky. Nice to see you. Happy 40s. Happy 50s, whoever that was. And hey, I just turned 60, so we we're all in the house. Decades coming <laughs> <Awesome>. down. <laughs> Hey, I'm in Vancouver, Canada this morning, and it's a beautiful sunny day, and uh, I'm really blessed to be here. I've been listening to some of your talks as well, and uh, kudos to this lady who's living in Spain. That's one of my dreams as well, spend some time there. <laughs> so, yeah, I've just come back from Bali, actually. I've been back uh, just a few weeks, and uh, that was a really great trip, and we got to have our first interview there. So thank you so much for that, Ricky. Yeah, where are you right now? Um, so I'm actually in Bogota, Colombia, and we're traveling around South America. We're going to head to Medellin, which is a big digital nomad hotspot tomorrow. We're taking the bus over there, and then we're heading down south to Ecuador, Peru, Chile, and uh, exploring every country in South America. Uh, we're still unsure about Venezuela, but pretty much every other country. We've already been to Brazil, Argentina, Paraguay, French Guiana, Suriname, Guyana, and uh, now in Colombia. Uh, wow. And we're just uh, we're just uh, sharing uh, travel experiences. Uh, Suzanne, do you have a highlight uh, either from Bali or from any uh, country, city, continent uh, in your sixty years of life so far? Yes, I do. <laughs> I got a few. In actual fact, you know, one of the biggest trips that I ever did was um, was in the seventies. Actually, long before we had technology in our hands, we could actually go traveling and and really go traveling right because we didn't have these to keep in touch with everybody constantly all the time which is a different experience of course and what was um great was i went for a six months backpacking uh trip so it was 1979 so just to put it in perperspective i finished high school in 1975 so so uh, me and my friend we took off with these giant backpacks you know thinking we were going to carry the world in our back and we took off from Vancouver and we took one of the first flights actually and the day was Continental Airlines and our first landing was of all interesting places Samoa so I've been to Western Samoa Pango Pango there in the 70s which was really an interesting place and uh, you know not many people had gone there at that point because gee the runway was still pretty much dirt and you know all the people were lined up watching this big plane arrive from uh, North America you know it was a big deal right 
so that was fun. I spent six months uh, traveling around through there. And then I went to New Zealand for three months where we had a ton of adventures there and a place I just love uh, to travel to. New Zealand is an excellent country to travel to for people of all ages and, and for whatever you want to do. And down to Australia and then over to Fiji and back to Hawaii. That was six months. And uh, boy, I'm looking forward to doing that again for a lot longer now. Awesome. Thanks for sharing, Suzanne. Uh, uh, we're going to get into book publishing. Suzanne is an expert in their book publishing, and uh, she teaches people how to publish themselves. And we're going to get into monetization in a few minutes, but uh, we just had uh, Betsy join, and uh, Betsy uh, is a fellow digital nomad. Uh, tell us, uh, Betsy, a little bit about yourself uh, for the sake of the people who are live on the interview now, but also for the people around the world, the millions and millions and millions of people who are watching us live. Go ahead, Betsy. <laughs> Well, Peter's trying to get on. I just sent him the link. He's in the next room. So he'll be joining in a different window. Hi, Kerwin. Kerwin. Hey, Betsy. <laughs> How are you? Good, good, good. Good to see you here. Yeah, good to see you too. Gosh, um, well, Peter and I have been full-time travelers now for, we're coming up on our third anniversary and um, we've been house-sitting our way around the world. I just heard, was it Suzanne say Fiji and all sorts? Yep, we started our international house-sitting journey in Fiji as well. So, I mean, it's really tough duty. <laughs> so, um, currently we're sitting in California and we've been here on an extended sit about five months. And um, we're going to wrap that up next month and go on to Panama. But we've had house sits now in Belgium, the UK, China, Australia. So we're pretty much hitting it and getting it. Betsy, do you want to share uh, maybe a highlight from all of your years of travel? Uh, everyone else has shared if you want to share a really memorable experience so far. Um, well, gosh, <laughs> it's hard to pick just one, but the most memorable, I think, would probably be house-sitting. Oh, here comes Peter. He couldn't get on, so. Say. She just sent me the information a minute ago, and <laughs> I don't want to miss out. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the, the question was the most memorable, and... <laughs> I'd have to say the cyclone, house sitting in the cyclone, category five, cyclone Winston in Fiji, looking after a couple of wonderful Dobermans. Cyclone five, or cyclone category five is something you just don't really want to do necessarily, but it was an interesting experience. It was either that awesome. or the brush fire. Oh, yeah, the brush fire at the same house. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, a cyclone is definitely a scary uh, thing to happen to you. I was actually just in Trinidad and Tobago two weeks ago, and uh, we were actually on lockdown on the island. The entire island closed down. There was no flights in or out of the island, and uh, pretty much everyone was stuck in Trinidad. We were afraid uh, the typhoon would hit us, and uh, uh, there's going to be flooding. All the schools were closed, all the restaurants, all the shops, and uh, we had never experienced that. I mean, we're from a big city in Vancouver, and we were here on a tiny little island in the middle of the Caribbean, uh, stuck. <laughs> but luckily, uh, after two days, they reopened the airports, and uh, 
people are able to fly in and out. But uh, yeah, super scary uh, because you don't know what, what's going to happen. I mean, uh, and I know um, uh, Mike and Yvonne can probably relate because they're actually in the Caribbean right now. Is that right, uh, Mike? Yes, yeah, uh, yes, yes, it is. We're um, we, we're just actually we experienced that same storm when it when it rolled by uh, Brett and uh, yeah we this is our fourth year in the islands and uh, knock on wood we haven't had anything more serious than uh, you know uh, a deluge of maybe four inches of water in forty five minutes uh, which is interesting in itself but we haven't had to deal with any. Uh, uh, wicked winds that would uh, take the roof off. That's not really something that I'm looking forward to. I uh, hope it never experienced it, but uh, that's one of the reasons we're here looking after people's homes is, uh, you know, if it happens, we're here to, to, to deal with it. And uh, you know, a lot of us, we share the good stuff on social media, uh, and I think that's uh, the, the critique of the travel and the social media industry is that most people don't share authentically and vulnerably and transparently about the bad stuff as well. So we've heard a lot about the good stuff so far, but uh, tell us about some of your travel lowlights. When did you feel like giving up? When did you feel like this is too difficult? When did you feel like, ah, I can't handle the culture? When did you fight with, you know, I mean, uh, we have a few married couples on the road here. When did you fight with your spouse? Uh, when did your kids drive you crazy because of their tantrums on the road? Tell us those stories. Let's be real yeah, no. and let's uh, not share just the good stuff on social media. Who wants to share one of the deepest, darkest moments live on air to millions of people watching? Anyone want to share yeah, no, some of the struggles on the road? Do we Sorry. have one? <laughs> there are no bad stuff that happens. What do you mean? Nothing, nothing bad ever happens. It's like social media. It's always good. It's always I mean, I've actually had really, really great. There's no thunderstorms, there's no earthquakes. What do you want to say, Kervin? Go ahead. I've actually had really great experiences. Um, I think it's because of my approach to things. Uh, even when things are, like, terrible, um, I mean, my my hotel decided to call me and cancel, like, 30 minutes before I arrived. They said they were they've been booked for five hours. And there was no point for me to get upset because one is just going to ruin, ruin my day and I don't want that. So I kind of just worked through it. I called the, the hotel people. They um, found me a place. They rebooked me. The hotel that I was staying at refused to honor the reservation, which they were supposed to. But I could have gotten upset. I would have probably gotten arrested if I had gotten upset because while I was hanging in the lobby, the security guard was hanging around the entire time. And I saw him the whole time, and I'm like, you know, it was just so stupid. And the, the guy who, it's the hotel's fault. They overbooked the hotel, and um, they're supposed to do what's called walking you, and they had no procedures for walking you. So um, I just called the, the reservation desk and took care of it. And it took three hours to accomplish that task. So, um, I, mean, I think a normal person would have been really, really upset, but there was no point to do that because what it would have done was just messed, messed everything up. Um, so it's kind of your approach. If you approach things, things are going to go wrong. I mean, let's face it, it's travel, right? But it's how you approach it, I think, that, um, that helps. Who's up next? <laughs> Who wants to share the deepest, darkest moments? Hi there. 
our deepest, darkest moment was actually the day we met. Um, we were both backpacking. We'd taken a around-the-world trip. We were both in Lake Taupo, uh, staying at a hostel. Mike had got the last bed in the, in the hostel. And I'd, been, I'd arrived the day before and I'd met a fellow English gal. And we decided we were going to the pub. So we asked if anybody wanted to come, and this guy went, sure, I'll come with you. Five minutes down the road, we got bunched by six Maori teenagers. Uh, basically thumped Mike in the face a couple yeah, of well, times. I, yeah, I got a karate chop in the, in the back of the head, and it was like, hey, give us your money. And I, I said to these guys, and these were six Maori teenagers. They, they build them quite big, uh, that part of the world. It was like getting jumped by a, a you know, front line of an NFL football team. And so I got a chop in the back of the head. It's like, hey, give us your money. I said, I don't think so which apparently was the wrong answer because they proceeded to sucker punch me. And they, so I got a couple shots in the head and I, and I thought like, I just had visions of hitting the ground and getting the boots put to me. So uh, being the brave tough guy I am, I did a, a 180 <laughs> and I you know, went shooting back up the street in my flip flops. Um, and it's amazing how fast you can run when your body's coursing full of uh, cortisol. So it actually worked out quite well because I, I acted as a decoy and I had the guys <laughs> run after me they never never caught me and then uh, I kind of cleaned myself up in the in the hostel and then yeah I, then I thought to myself I, I wonder what, what wonder the girls what are up to, to. <laughs> well he took off with four of the, the the kids following him and there was two girls left with myself and Jess and they yeah kicked us a few times and tried to get money from us which didn't work I flagged the car down Jess ran into a gas station and they phoned the police and um we all ended up back at the hostel with the police, and the police basically took us around town to see if we could identify these teenagers back to the um, police station to give testimonials and so on. And I think they did, deposited us back at the hostel around 12 o'clock that night. So it was quite the experience. Yeah, that, that, was, um, <laughs> that was our first date, basically. That was our so, first date. So uh, Yvonne's... Yvonne can accuse me of not showing a girl a good time. <laughs> but, I, but I think, you know, in retrospect with that, uh, you know, the, what we learned from that is, in my, myself personally, is um, uh, as a traveler, uh, you need to develop situ situational awareness skills. And uh, I, that was a, a bit of a crash course in uh, uh, not only being aware of what's going on around you, but also the way you carry yourself as a traveler, um, you know, the way you, your, your posture, the way you carry yourself. Um, if you look like a victim, well, it, it might just happen to you. So, I mean, out of, out of all the years of traveling, that's the only real, that's um, the only time. That's the only, only brush. And, you know, I, well, that, yeah. that's our story. Yeah. We've, we've developed our, our spidey senses as we call them. You know, you, you walk down the street and it doesn't feel right. Yeah. You know, when to turn, turn around, around and get the hell out of there. So Thanks for sharing, guys. Uh, by the way, we just by had Ethan join, well. join as well. If everyone wants to mute themselves. Um, uh, that's we that's all you. Okay, do your story. I was just going to introduce uh, Nathan, but go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. Sorry, I don't have a video on. I actually just got knee surgery like a day ago, so I'm just lying in bed. Um, being a little bit of a mess, but I appreciate you guys having me on. I, I was just on the show um, a few weeks ago. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. I own two remote companies, so I, I'm very familiar with traveling across um, the world and continuing to work no matter where I am. And I guess the coolest thing for me is 
I have 500 plus workers all around the world, thousands of clients. So whenever I travel, if I go to Mexico or Canada or Europe or Israel or wherever, um, I always run into clients and workers that I've worked with for years that um, I've never met in person. So that's kind of the coolest thing for me. Uh, while we while we have you on, do you want to share about one of your highlights and one of your most amazing, or one of your lowlights, <laughs> one of your worst experiences like uh, everything else been sharing so far? Yeah, so my worst experience traveling, I was a young entrepreneur. I was year maybe one, maybe 1.5 in the company, and, and I was having more success than I ever had had. I, I built a million-dollar company in college. I, I had one supplier that I was just selling a ton of products for. So I set up a manager to be in charge. I really wanted some time off to travel and not work at all. Um, so I went to Myrtle Beach in North Carolina. Uh, and day one of the trip, I got a call, two calls, one from my accountant saying that I had my identity stolen. Someone stole $40,000 um, worth of money in my name from the government. And then a second from our supplier telling me that they decided to drop us and not work with us anymore. So everything that I had worked for the entire year was kind of out the window. So. I went from a pretty big high to a pretty big low, but it, it was kind of a lesson in diversifying because six months later, we, had, we were working with tons of different suppliers and we would minimized our risk a lot going forward. Well, thanks for sharing. I asked Nathan about his business side of things too. We're gonna get into travel monetization and he has a great platform by which digital nomads can make money, so stay tuned for that. Uh, Betsy and Pete, uh, you wanted to share one of your worst experiences. Did you also have a bad first date just like Mike and Ivana were there? Or, uh, was, or uh, tell us a little bit more. Tell us a little bit more. <laughs> well, I don't think we had a bad first date. So um, we did meet online though. And the only reason I agreed to go out with Pete was because he was a good speller. <laughs> so anyway, but um, I have kind of, I, um, we've got a couple of examples of a kind of a low and probably the funniest one that we can laugh about now although it didn't seem very funny at the time was we were in Thailand and had taken a train down to Surat Thani and we were going to take a bus across from Surat Thani to Kravi where a lovely comped stay at a luxury pool villa was awaiting us so we were sort of motivated to get there and um, the train, as you, <laughs> Thailand trains never run on time. Anyway, the train was about three hours late, and there was only about 15 minutes to catch our bus and the last bus. And <laughs> we did what you're never supposed to do is a guy outside the train station offers you a ride, and we hopped in. And in this case, we were in the back of a pickup truck with all of our luggage. There was no tailgate. And these two gentlemen were breaking every traffic rule and every speed rule. They were going to get us to that bus, by golly. And at one point, we were careening around the corner, and all of our stuff is sliding, and we're sliding. And I just looked at Pete, and I said, hey, buddy, it's been nice knowing you. <laughs> because... It was unclear whether we were ever going to actually get out of this fix. And so we're stopped at a light, and the kid gets out of the cab of the pickup truck and comes around, and he, get, and he says, change of plans. And I'm like, oh, great. You know, He goes, we'll meet the bus at the 7-Eleven gas station. And it's like, right, okay, sure we will. 
So sure enough, we get to the 7-Eleven gas station, and by then, I, I really have to pee. So I just go into the ladies' room, and, you know, I'm making my peace with the squatty potty, and the bus pulls in, just like they said it would. <laughs> and so I run out, and, you know, we get all the luggage loaded on, and it was then that the guy demands how much money? <laughs> Well, I was, it was like 50% more than the bus ride. Yeah. So essentially, the guy's got his hand out. We give him all the cash that we have, and we get on the bus. But it out, turned out pretty, pretty well at the end, though, because uh, when we got to our stop, there was two guys with a sign. and With our we, name on it. And yeah. we connected and got to, got to the villa and... The rest was a wonderful story. Yeah, so we went from the back of a pickup truck to a private pool villa with our own personal chef and butler. <laughs> All in a day. Wow, uh, you know, I, lo I love these stories because uh, we usually hear the good stuff, but now we're hearing the bad stuff as well. Um, what do you hear from uh, the others who haven't shared uh, uh, while we're waiting for them? I'm actually gonna share one of my bad experiences too. Um, for us, we were actually in South Africa in February this year. As I mentioned, the highlight was the animal safari. And uh, we flew into Johannesburg, uh, traveled overland into Cape Town. And uh, we booked a ticket to travel from Cape Town to Sao Paulo, Brazil. And um, uh, on the date of our flight, we were actually in a rush. Uh, we had uh, gone out with a friend. And we were coming back to the hotel we were staying in. Uh, so we were rushing. Uh, we finally got to the airport in Cape Town. And uh, we go to check in. And uh, what happens is when we go to check in, the lady's like um, looking through her stuff and they, she looked through my wife's stuff, okay. And she looked through my stuff and then she's like, and we're like, um, oh, can we get an arrival? And she's like, no. And, and I'm like, what about my wife? She's like, she's Filipino. She has a Filipino passport. She's no problem. But you and the kids, you're Canadians. You actually need a visa. And we're like, uh, can we get it? Uh, like when we arrive and they're like, nope. And we're like, you know, oh my God, we have this flight book, we rushed, we got here on time, and we actually weren't allowed to board the plane. And uh, basically, we got stuck. <laughs> um, so we actually had to stay in Cape Town for another two weeks to apply for the Brazilian visa, and uh, we finally got it, and we actually ended up enjoying Cape Town, and uh, actually, we went to the southernmost uh, point of Africa while we were waiting. Um, but uh, the lesson learned is that uh, check the visa situations in advance. What was happening is my wife was checking because um, she has this Filipino passport and usually she's the one uh, having the visa complications. And for some reason, Filipinos can go to uh, Brazil visa free. So she didn't actually check and I didn't check either. Uh, so Canadians actually need to pay in advance, um, not on arrival. So that was a thousand dollar plus mistake because we had to rebook our flights and uh, obviously uh, when you do that last minute you got uh, charged so uh, that was definitely a big mistake uh, in terms of the finances and uh, you know like we had a bit of a quarrel about that and uh, blame each other like why didn't you check why didn't you check and uh, you know uh, you, you live and learn we missed the flight and we stayed in Cape Town we made the best of it but uh, now we're super super diligent about making sure we have visas in advance so um, luckily most Canadians uh, sorry most nationalities don't need visas in uh, South America Canadians need it for I think um, Brazil Argentina is called a reciprocity fee because Canadians charge Argentinians to come to Canada the reciprocity means that we got to pay to get to Argentina um, in Suriname, where we were, we actually had to pay a tourist visa, 
Uh, and in Colombia, where we are currently at the time of this interview, we had to pay uh, um, a fee on arrival. It wasn't a visa, it was just uh, basically a money grab, I think. <laughs> basically, they, they wanted uh, us on arrival, so we had to pay that. Colombia, they have to pay when they go 15. to Canada, Ricky. That's why uh, the Colombians charge us. But Suzanne yes. has, a, has a great story, and it'd be wonderful to hear your story, Suzanne. Go ahead. Sure. Hey, uh, I was just listening to all your stories and they're just uh, so many, you know, like we always talk about the good, like you say, and then I'm listening to these stories and I'm thinking, oh, I have a story. <laughs> and so I got to tell you one time a few years ago, I actually had an opportunity to do kind of some freelance contract work with a travel magazine. And that was a lot of fun. But on, on uh, what happened was one day I got a call from the editor saying, um, hey, can you go to Mexico tomorrow? We have an event we can't go to, but we have been invited to a United Nations tourism uh, meeting in Campeche, Mexico. And so they offered me to go. And so what did I say? Yes, I'm going. I'm packed. I'm going. So I went. And what happened was I flew to Mexico City and then took another flight down to, um, oh, what's that pretty little town? Um, oh, I can't remember right now. But anyway, flew to another town. And there I was met with uh, the one of the girls who was coordinating it with the magazine, okay? So there was four women, uh, three from the United States and me. And we were all kind of meeting in this, Merida is the town. Somebody of you, you would know, Merida pretty town. And uh, anyway, it was all good. And we, we eventually we all arrive and it's really late at night, midnight. We get on this bus with this driver and he drives us to Campeche, which is now about two, two hours, hour and a half, I guess, away. And we wake up in the morning to this beautiful seaside. I think it's the UNESCO uh, heritage site as well. Uh, Campeche, very nice town. Anyway, Big event, okay? People are there from all over the world, Kenya, Nigeria, Australia, all the travel, tourism uh, delegates in the governments around the world, a United Nations event, the real deal. And I'm there, and they got all the translator boxes. It's real busy. And anyway, we got spoiled, okay? We got spoiled for three days, food, tours, all these gifts, amazing dinner parties, the best tequila you could ever have, you know, all of that. And anyway, the very last night, we were taken to a special treat at um, Etsna. I think that's how you say it, the big, um, the big uh, um, Inca place there. And anyway, we go there, and there's a show, and it's all lit up and all this stuff, but it's night, okay? And we're going to go back to Merida now. And what happened was, was that the show finishes, we all get in the truck now with the guy in our van, and he starts going down this road. And I had sort of thought at the time, we didn't come in this way. This is kind of a back road. And he said, oh, I'll just go down this road and then we'll turn off and we'll go on this big, you know, super highway that they had between. No. <laughs> we ended up in the back of the woods between Guatemala's forest and Mexico's forest. Four girls from North America with all our stuff, breaking all the rules in Mexico in tiny little towns. Paula Chia's all sitting in the woods. And finally, I said to one of the girls, we're not going the right way. We're not going the right way at all because I've seen this sign. We've gone in a circle. Well, he couldn't speak much English, the driver, but the 
but the one of the ladies um, could speak Spanish and so she started asking him well he goes kind of lost so here we were lost in night midnight <laughs> in the woods in Mexico between Mexico and Guatemala somewhere finally after two and a half hours of finding our way through this woods I mean wild horses were running through the lights you know it was remote it was everything we shouldn't have done um, at all and if we'd been taken well I'm telling you you would have never found us ever uh, you know and anyway we ended up back in Merida and we survived but my point was was that um, I just wanted to share that because it was frightening to me. It was frightening. It was all the rules were broken of what you should do and not do in Mexico, you know, in terms of this was a few years ago and there was a lot more problems there as well. Right. But somehow we got through and I'm telling you, we barely slept any of us. We had a quick snack somewhere and we were all getting our luggage and we were going to the airport. We were out of there. It was pretty stressful to think that nobody knew where we were and we would have never, what if we never came back? So we did and I've got the story, but, um, and I, we wrote a great article and the, and I met all these amazing people there, but it was just one of those points of like, everything was so amazing and then all of a sudden we're lost in the woods in Mexico. So <laughs> I just wanted to share that quickly because you know what, as long as you can keep your wits about, you'll be okay. Uh, thanks for uh, I do want to move on to travel monetization, um, uh, what we covered so far during a three-hour live stream. Uh, the first hour was preparation. How do you prepare for a big trip around the world? Second hour was all about travel experiences, the highlights, and as you've uh, seen and heard, the lowlights. The big question, how do you make money while traveling? Um, all of our guests today, they make money in several, some of them make multiple streams of income, some of them make uh, through things like coaching or masterminding or online killer marketing or um, uh, social media marketing or blogging or video blogging or um, there's almost so many more. I've actually forgotten all the different ways, but we're going to find those out right now. Uh, so why don't we get, um, who, wants to, who hasn't talked in a while? Dan. Uh, why don't we get Dan to share a little bit about how you guys generate income through blogging concentrated? Uh, sure. So as I said in, in the beginning, a little while ago, um, we, we put on workshops to travel. So we figure out where we want to go. Um, we find somebody local who's got uh, a blogging, vlogging, or podcasting network, and we start putting together a, a place. Um, we've never paid for a venue, so that helps. We always find venues that we don't have to pay for. Uh, then we try to get 35 to 40 people to show up that pay, you know, $300 for the day. And typically, uh, that pays for the trip, for all of our trips. So we do work. And we're pretty light. You know, we use a computer and PowerPoint. We have a couple banners that we've uh, gotten down to pretty small so we can carry with us. Um, so that's pretty much how we fund the travel itself. But then the business, you know, the business makes money a lot of different ways. And um, one of those ways is, uh, it's coming up next week, actually. It's our product that we call BC Stack. Um, and that, we're almost, almost to the point where if we did two of those a year, that's all we would have to do for uh, for monetization. For I mean, that's the only work we have to do. So, um, and I'm hoping that the, the affiliates who help promote uh, get to the point where, where they're the same. But we take 65, uh, I guess you would say, experts in digital marketing world, bloggers, vloggers, podcasters, uh, speakers, web designers, 
video editors, and uh, if they have a product, we put all of their products into one stack that we call BC Stack, and we sell it for $27, and we give uh, anybody who wants to help promote, we give them uh, half the money. Uh, and then if they sell a lot, we actually give them 100% of the money up to a certain point, so it can be quite lucrative for, for some people. To get to the point where we can only we only have to do that two or three times a year, and that's the money that we make for the year. You know, three big projects. That would be that would be ideal. So we're starting a, a new one for Rachel's site, which is FindingJoy.net. And Rachel's site's big. You know, that on a slow day that gets twenty thousand page views or you know visitors. So um, that's a big site, and it makes money on ads. And as long as uh, Rachel's writing um, and putting, because because really her whatever she has in her that enables her to write something that makes people want to share it, whatever that extra special thing is, she has that. So when she writes and people share, then we make ad income and we sell books and other things. Um, so right now she's actually on a plane coming back from Haiti because uh, we're going to take a new direction this year. Um, we have found a women's mission in Haiti. It's basically a building that helps women um, who uh, don't want to give up their children for adoption, but they don't have enough money. Uh, and we're going to fund the entire thing. It's $3,000 a month. We're going to fund a bunch of moms. So we're going to use uh, Finding Joy as a, as a way to, we're going to run this entire thing. And, and she's been there scouting it out this week. We're going to be giving away microloans to the moms to help them start businesses. We're going to be giving marketing advice. So uh, Finding Joy this year is taking on a new kind of a twist, a new mission, kind of a humanitarian Thing, and I think that the audience of Finding Joy for so long, and they, they all want to help Rachel. They want to read her stuff. They want to buy her books. And I think with a common goal, and we have one little area in Haiti, one little town, and we're going we're gonna to take over this building, and then we're going to take over the street. And we're going to see if we can you know, make a difference there. So um, we make money a lot of different ways, uh, but primarily our goal is with BC Stack next week, um, is to make money one way three times a year, and that's all we'll need to do. Uh, the question is, how big can we grow it? That is the question. Uh, this year we have Jarek Robbins, um, which uh, Ricky hooked us up with, Tony Robbins' son. He's, he's actually donated 30-minute uh, one-on-one sessions with his team, marketing, marketing sessions, for everyone that buys it. I don't exactly know how this is going to work for him, because I don't think he grasped the concept that, you know, like, 10,000 people are going to buy this. I, I don't exactly understand how his calendly little thing that says pick an appointment time is going to work, but, you know, <laughs> maybe he'll have appointments out through 2019. I, I don't know, but I'm just glad that he, he offered it. Um, and uh, 60, 64 other people, uh, so including Scott and Ricky, they have a product in the stack this year. So if any of you are interested in what would be considered affiliate income, which is promoting a link, then that is a way that you could make money, is that you help us promote and we split we split the money and you get to and we pay the day after. I don't know if you know that too. Some people like that. Um, the day is over the twenty seventh. We pay everyone because I really just want to be done. That is the only reason we pay after. I just want out. All right, that's that's what I got. Thanks, Dan. I've been a part of the BC Stack. Uh, Brit uh, it's not British Columbia Stack. It's a blogging concentrated stack, <laughs> BC Stack. And uh, I've been a part of it from the very beginning. Uh, the last three years, I've uh, put my own products on there. Uh, 
uh, I had a Thinkific product, I had a, a video training course on how to become a travel blogger, and this year we actually contributed a digital nomad training uh, worth $197, but we're giving it away to anyone who purchases the stack. Uh, and uh, Scott and me co-produced that actually on location. I was in Brazil and Scott was over there at the Croatia. Uh, Scott, tell us about how you're able to generate income as a full-time uh, Udemy instructor. Well, th thank you, Ricky. Uh, one of the things that I love doing is working with people who are experts in their fields and want to share their information with the world. So in the last three, two and a half years, I've created over 70 courses. Udemy is my platform of choice because they do such a good job of selling and their platform is one that I'm very familiar with and it's easy to use. So uh, what I basically do is split the revenue 50-50 with the co-instructor. We, uh, we do an outline of the course. I put everything into Udemy and then either we record together or uh, I record and, and direct them in the, in the recording if they just want to do it solo. And the result is because it's a team effort, it gets done really quick. Like if someone says, okay, Scott, I'm going to be there at nine in the morning to record, they're there and I'm there. Whereas if I was doing it myself, I'd probably look up and say, oh, it's a nice sunny day. I should go for a walk around the beach instead. So what I find is that accountability, which is, I think, you know, Part of the reason we're at 100 podcast episodes is Ricky is super accountable. And uh, when he sets a goal, he just goes for it. And I think that's really, really important. So we've created together three courses. We already have over 7,000 in our first course, and I think four or five or six in the second one. And we're getting ready to kind of push the third one. And we've already thought of a fourth course, and I'm sure the fifth course is just around the corner. And what happens when you do anything often is you get really good at it. So I have a couple people that I've done like 10 or 15 courses with, and it's just a really fast, smooth process, and they're really happy about the results that they're getting. And it's not just about Udemy selling the courses. It's about positioning you as the expert in your field because it's a lot easier when you're the person when, as opposed to when you're not the person. Because when you're not the person, you got to knock on doors. Hey, do you want my service? No. Hey, do you want my service? No. It's really a hard way to live life. The easy way is I'm the person, and everybody goes, I need the person. Who is it? And then someone says, well, it's that person. Go talk to them. And you get all these referrals. And referral business to me is really, really good. The other thing is you get instant credibility. I do a podcast, I do a lot of podcast trainings. I have over uh, 13,000, I think, in my main podcast course. And so now I'm the person who has taught more people how to podcast than anybody else in the world, because I'm pretty sure no one's hit 13,000. If there is, that's like one or two people. Um, and then what happens is people notice that, they notice the reviews, and they say, you know what, we've got this social media thing going on, we would really like you to you know, come and speak at our event, or we'd really like you to coach us. You really like all these doors open that are very difficult to open if you don't have the credibility and third-party credibility from Udemy is amazing. So it's not just teaching the courses, it's the back end that comes from it that really, really makes a difference. And, and uh, so that's what I do most of the time. Actually, three hours every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Scott's amazing to work with. Uh, you know, I had never done a Udemy course. I've done several, several, several different uh, video courses on YouTube. And I used to be an event producer back in Vancouver. I'd record them all, throw them on YouTube, uh, put them on Thinkific, put them on self-hosted sites with the password. But I'd never actually touched Udemy. And after talking to Scott, I was like, yeah, let's do this. You know, I had to show up and just talk <laughs> and get paid for it. Let's make it happen. And we recorded uh, three courses already. And we're already making a passive income stream. Uh, it's, you know, a few hundred dollars a month for, for my idea you know Scott's making a few thousand in passive income a month but it's incredible uh, the power of Udemy so I'm a big advocate now of uh, you know passive income is always beautiful you do the work once and you get paid over and over and over by year uh, so highly recommend Udemy um, who else wants to chime in no, on I just, how do you I make money well for all there, the world Ricky because you what you said is really important there is this really wonderful feeling when because Udemy will tell you what's sold and a course that I did two years ago has a sale today. And it's just like, oh man, like this has found money. Like I didn't do anything in 18 months and here's money coming from something I did 18 months ago. And it's one of the few places where I find that really actually happens. So thank you for bringing that up. No worries, Scott. Uh, passive income is a beautiful thing. So tell us, uh, anyone else who wants to chime in on how they make money while traveling the world. Go ahead, Yvonne and Mike. Hi there. Mike's taking notes here. He's fascinated by what's going on. We started with uh, rental income. With, by doing the house sitting, we cut our expenses and we started with rental income because we rented our home out. Plus, we had some investments. And that went really well until one of our rental properties went sideways and then we had to find ways of making additional income and that's when I started travel writing and so I've done some articles which have been paid for for that but that also gave us the introduction to international living and we got to meet one of the editors and they asked us to write a house sitting product for them and so we co-authored the uh, house sitters guide which is sold by international living and when they promote for us, we make a nice hefty chunk of money and we get paid in US dollars, which is very, very nice. And so that supplements us quite nicely. And then we've started writing our own ebooks as well. So we're just adding extra little bits here and there. So a little piece, little piece from here, a little piece from here, and a little piece from here keeps us going very nicely. After all, we are in the Caribbean. And it's raining right now, otherwise, I'll show you the view. <laughs> You know, it's actually rainy season in the Caribbean, and it's not what you think when you think of the perfect postcard image of the Caribbean with the blue sky, <laughs> sunny weather, the, the, and I was actually in the Caribbean two weeks ago in the midst of the rain too, so I can relate there. Um, mm -hmm. So Susanna, do you want to share about how you're generating? Can you hear me? Yeah. Hey. Uh... Yeah, uh, so my husband and I have been uh, transitioning our lifestyle for a number of years now and eventually, like everybody, you start following new new things start to come into your vision as you do changes, right? So we want to do what many of you are doing, which is to go out in the world more and maybe do some house sitting. I actually had a woman house sit here where I am at our condo in North Vancouver uh, recently while well, we spent three weeks in Bali and she'd come from Ecuador where she'd been living for eight years so that was my first kind of you know crossing sharing that we go she comes in and that kind of a thing we have a rental property as well and we can rent this place out so that is in the mix as well that so that's one way to make money as we're getting into our 60s my husband wants to retire quote unquote soon and we want to go out in the world because I wrote a book 
So my book here is called Fork It, Keys to Amazing Health. And I call writing a book, and anybody should write a book, even an ebook, any book, is the biggest business card that I've ever had. So this is a business card. And you can do lots of fun things with this, like put it in the mail and send it to movie stars, famous uh, mentors that you've been following, CEOs of companies. Uh, it goes on and on and on. I, I mean, I've sent this book to all kinds of people, and I've been afforded the opportunity to speak on big stages as well, uh, including in 2015, I was um, afforded the opportunity to speak at both a Tony Robbins and a Richard Branson event. I believe it was small, but <laughs> it was an interview, and I had my book up in the big light, so that was great, and that opened new doors, right? So it's not about sort of, you know, running out and doing it all now. It's a past. It's a past. And so one of the things we did in our past, in our vision, was to put a book in. Now, this book um, has opened me up into life coaching, into travel coaching, into you know uh, all kinds of different ways because people are really interested in our story and all of yours as well because we're 60 now and we're not playing the same game we're actually unlocking and doing new things so people are really interested in this one of the things that came up just recently with the book is um, I can also do things like to get paid I can do lunch to learns for example anywhere in the world with companies companies that have staff and we can create partnerships like this way right so I can pop in and their lunchtime and you know help uh, talk to the people about different aspects of my book but they'd also get a copy from that company because the company would purchase some copies and then they would give this to the staff after our lunch and learn so this is a great thing to do when you're on the move right you can do this anywhere and what happened was and just to fill you in of how powerful it is is that suddenly things start to happen so suddenly I'm getting more podcast interviews suddenly people want you to be in doing different things and all of a sudden you're invited to and being paid to go to a, a festival so I'm going back to Bali festival because we're longtime vegans and that's what my book is about is how to transition your health into super health so that you can you know I feel 60s halfway into my life so wow what if I could live to be 120 I need to make more money but we don't want to just be doing it in the traditional way so the Bali vegan festival we're returning to by osmosis of me talking to them about this book and so now I'm going to be a speaker there and that's going to open up new doors because we want to choose where we go and we want to help other people learn and we have more to learn and so off we go so we're just turning around in a quick 90 days to go back to Bali as a speaker so there's multiple ways that you can make your money with a book and remembering this is, is a marketing tool this is a marketing tool and this was key that I learned about writing a book it's a marketing tool and I've sent this this there's a copy of this on Necker Island I've sent it to uh, famous musicians I've sent to, you know that you don't know what they need Carlos Santana has one you know I mean I've sent them Paul McCartney has one Tony Robbins has one you know they, I've pushed them out in the world in unique ways because suddenly things start to come and so we want to make that passive income but we also want to work and share so it's coming in new ways now so here we are I'm here with you so um, I hope that inspires people to write a book yeah it definitely does I highly recommend uh, publishing your own book I published mine on Father's Day four years ago and
and it became an Amazon bestseller. And it really gives me credibility to be an Amazon bestselling author. But it also is another passive income stream. I haven't even touched that book uh, in four years. I hardly market it. But every month uh, I see that it's making sales on Kindle. And uh, I'll, I might as well share a little bit of my income side of things. So we left Vancouver, BC, Canada on December 6, 2016. And we had three major income streams. The first was a savings, and uh, we actually sold a lot of stuff, including a condo, including um, a lot of our, like a car, a gadgets, or a tech, all of my event equipment, all gone. I sold it all, someone else is using it. Uh, the second thing was my wife's math leave. So uh, we were able to travel for one year year while my wife's on maternity leave and the beautiful thing about Canada is you got one year paid maternity leave and for myself I make uh, multiple streams on online including I do private one-on-one -on -one coaching I have a weekly mastermind group every Wednesday night all about how to become a digital nomad uh, now as Cod was saying we have three different Udemy courses which uh, makes us a few hundred dollars passively a month um, these podcasts currently aren't making a whole lot of money uh, directly uh, but we've recorded a hundred of them and uh, we're looking for podcast sponsors so if you know any reach out to us and uh, we all obviously put affiliate links in everything we do so we make um, you know some affiliate income and um, the last thing I actually have coming up is a massive online summit uh, called Digital Nomad Mastery coming up this fall where we're going to bring in digital nomads from around the world focusing specifically on this area of how people can make money while traveling the world. And we've already locked in a few keynote speakers including John Chow who makes um, you know seven figures a year through his blog johnchow.com. We've locked in Yaro Starok who's made over a million dollars, a million dollars online through online sales and uh, we're locking in other people as we go but those are two of our headliners uh, Yaro, uh, John, Star, uh, John Tao and Yaro Stara. I wanted to uh, get the other people on the interview here to share about how they make income online we're winding up to the top of our and by the way I would love to um, answer some questions too uh, 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 on Facebook on YouTube on Twitter on Instagram and we're streaming it across the web uh, so Scott if you can just check if any questions have come up so we can answer them call it a night or a day no matter where you are in the world uh, so Kervin uh, do you want to share a little bit about how you're traveling the world and uh, seeing 150 plus countries while still generating online income sure um, it's tough <laughs> that's the truth about travel but um, I make primarily from advertising and um, so basically I try to generate a lot of traffic to the blog so I also work with uh, tourist boards and do hotel reviews and uh, airline reviews and the idea behind that is to get traffic to the blog and when you get traffic to the blog uh, you get advertising uh, revenue from that so it's between Google AdSense and an ad network that I currently currently work with um, the other thing too is that when you work with some brands uh, or you go on some trips, typically you don't get paid for them, uh, but you get content and you can sell the content uh, either back to the same brand or to others who need photos of a destination you visited, or you can write articles for magazines um, online. So that's typically, um, the, the I guess, the mainstay of uh, income. Uh, book sales, I think, is it? Um, Suzanne was talking about books. Um, I have a book coming out and I have one that I already written. The one I written before 
I use that as a lead magnet to bring people to the site, and it's the only book in the, in the genre. And the second book is actually going to be the second book in the genre. So, um, and that one I'm going to sell. But it won't be just, hey, go buy the book. It'll be kind of, um, here's a book in audio. Here is an online version of the book. Here's a PDF version of the book. Uh, and also, I'm going to add a course to the book. I'm using Thinkific. Think, Thinkific, I Thinkific, I think is what it's called, um, to host a course. And, uh, and then I also have a kind of a consulting side of thing. So in a, a Facebook group. So it won't be the normal, you know, go buy the book for $2.99 or whatever, whatever the price is going to be. And I've done the thing about, you know, building the tribe, getting everyone who's interested in the book. Uh, I've sent it out to the initial uh, people who I want to look at it and give me feedback. So those are the, so far, are the typical ways. I also do some speaking engagements. I don't yet get paid to speak. Uh, but what they do um, is it gets your name out there. And, um, and you know, eventually, I'll get paid to speak. But I'm not quite there. I don't think I'm ready to get paid to speak just yet. Um, but just getting all the experience as I go. I beg to differ. I think you are ready to get paid to speak. You're a phenomenal speaker. You have a phenomenal wealth of experience and expertise. The fact that you've traveled to over 50, 150 countries, been to over 100 airlines, that is, qualifies yeah. you. All right, great. I, uh, I agree with Ricky, Kerwin. <laughs> get out there on the stage and kill it. Too. All right, well, see, th this is what I need. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for the money the next time. <laughs> That's what we're here for, you know, to encourage each other. Because sometimes our mind and our belief system stops ourselves. So we believe in you, Pervin. Looking forward to hearing about your next paid speaking gig. All right, great. I'm more than happy to tell you about that. Thanks, guys. <laughs> All right. And uh, last but not least, we have to tell us a little bit about how you generate multiple streams of income through your travel. Us? Oh. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> well, we've been at this since 2008. And I like to tell the story because it's just kind of stupid. and But it illustrates why you need to be paying attention, I think. And back in 2008, we were trying to figure out um, what we were going to do because we weren't going to have a traditional. And so just for fun one day, Pete, if you remember 2008, it was sort of a contentious election in the United States. And so just for fun, Pete made this political bumper sticker. And he set his notifications to make a little sound whenever one sold. And then he kind of forgot about it. And then one about a day later, we heard ding. And he's like, oh, I sold a bumper sticker. And then a few minutes later, he heard ding. And then it was like, ding, 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 ding. And you know, like Pavlov's dog, you start to pay attention. And he, that bumper sticker with a print on demand company, which is a company that you partner with, you put your designs up there. And then if your design sells, they produce the product and ship it out and handle all the administrative details and then at the end of the month they send you a check well it's perfect for digital nomads and I'm kind of shocked aren't you that a lot of digital nomads don't even know that this revenue stream exists it's kind of a it's, it really is a natural for digital nomads um, number one it's it's free depending on which 
print-on-demand company you work with, but uh, also it's it's in uh, most digital nomads have all sorts of visual assets, uh, photographs and things that that they could incorporate into a, into a product line and put it into a store. There's also uh, a nice uh, affiliate program, especially with the one that we use the most of, which is Zazzle. They yeah. Have, they so. have a very easy affiliate program if, if people aren't interested in doing um, product itself, and they pay 15%, which is rather high for an affiliate program, uh, such that we put together a, a book on um, affiliating with Zazzle for for bloggers um, just because we wanted to get the word out there. Um, but that's one of our income streams, and like many of the others that have been uh, speaking, we have um, a variety of income streams that we rely on so that if one goes down, we've got other ones to pick up the slack. So we've got ebooks, um, we have affiliate programs within the blog, um, and we have an interesting one now that we've just started and we haven't gotten paid yet, but I just, I love to tell this story. Um, it turns out there's uh, companies out there that will take a look at the, your photography on your blog and search the internet worldwide and look for people who have stolen your images. And then they will uh, negotiate with them to um, charge a, a use fee or a fine or whatever you want to call it. But uh, we heard about this and loaded up a bunch of photographs from the blog just from the last couple of years and we've had 10 hits uh, in terms of stolen images being used and um, uh, the system puts out a, a, what they think is is the maximum amount of money you might get from this infringement and so far we're up to about four or five thousand euros within a couple of weeks now we still have to get paid and they still have to make the settlements but this is a rather interesting income stream that i think almost line could and take bloggers, advantage of could take advantage of you know and bloggers are always upset when people steal steal their content and you know this is just sort of a way that um to mitigate that pain <laughs> <laughs> you know, so well, that's you know, that's that's a relatively new spoke in the wheel. But that's you know, that's, a, that's a brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> I was just reading an article about this, and and this guy, I'm just gonna, this guy, for, I'm just gonna for a second. Uh, and he he found this company that had used his skateboarding photos for promotion for a skateboard. And he kind of he approached them, and and they were like, "Well, we're just a small company; we can't afford to pay." Blah 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 blah. And so he went through this whole long process with them, and then he posted everything that happened on his social media. And at the end of the article, he says, "You know, this company never did pay me, but 
there was so much sharing and publicity about all of this because I'm a professional photographer, blah, blah, blah. He said four other companies came forward and gave him money because they had taken his pictures and without permission and they felt bad about it. So what you're talking about is really very, very interesting. Cool. Uh, hey, thanks everyone for sharing. Sharing. Guess what? We're done the three hours. We survived without any technical hiccups. So a round of applause for everyone on the show today. Good job. <laughs> uh, so uh, to wrap up here, I wanted to do a closing thought from each, each of the guests uh, who are on, uh, on right now. We've had over 20 guests from around the world, from pretty much every continent, uh, North America, South America, Asia, uh, Africa, uh, Australia. Uh, we even had someone from Saudi Arabia in the Middle East, so amazing episode here. Thanks, for everyone, for tuning in. Uh, we're going to wrap up with a closing thought from each of our panelists here. Um, we've covered three major topics today, travel preparation, we've covered uh, travel experiences, and we've covered travel monetization. There's someone I know who's watching this, who's listening to this, even if there's one person who's maybe down, maybe depressed, maybe thinking of committing suicide, and travel can change them. I mean, for me, I went through a lot of darkness in my life. Even after getting married and having kids, I was a domesticated dad. I wasn't happy living in the suburbs of Vancouver, and I made a, a drastic decision with my wife and kids to actually leave it all behind and travel the world. And I, I switched from being a domesticated dad to becoming a digital nomad dad. And I, I, I changed from living a life by default to one by design, and it has changed everything. Um, and I know there's someone watching and listening right now who's in that same spot. They're down, they're depressed, and they want to travel. What would you tell that person right now, Scott? And then we'll go on down the line. <laughs> uh, well, travel. The, the thing is, is, particularly given what you've just said and set up, Ricky, is I think a lot of the reason that people are depressed, I think there can be a lot of reasons why. And I think in there somewhere is nutrition, in there somewhere is stress, uh, in there somewhere is boring, unexciting lives. And when you, when you just pack everything up, throw it in a storage locker at 50 bucks a month, or take it to your mom and dad's and put it in their basement, and you leave, immediately everything changes. You, nobody knows who you are in Rio de Janeiro, so you can be a lot different person than the one everybody knows in your hometown. And so you, and when you go to these places, all of a sudden your eyes open and you see how other people are living. You see how people are, you know, in North America in particular, there's a lot of negative news going on. In British Columbia, my home province, it's a bonfire right now. It's like burning up like crazy and it's very, very sad. And so when you get stuck into all of that, uh, that negativity of your wherever it is that you are and then you leave it, all of a sudden all this baggage drops off that you didn't even know was there because it's all so subliminal. It's just this is the news, this is the news. This politician did that, that politician did this. And I, I watch or I read my local newspaper online uh, almost every day and I'm constantly going, wow, like, you know, so many people got stabbed or shot or run over or this happened or that happened. And when you're in it, it's, it can be really depressing. And if you're eating poorly, well, once you go to 
places like Colombia or or Europe or Australia or wherever you end up going, you look at the food and you go, wow, I've never tried that fruit or I've never tried this vegetable or I've never tried eating here. And you're eating differently. So your nutrition changes. And I think that all of that together bring, and then you have the experiences. Now, when you go back home, you have stories to talk to people about Machu Picchu or the pyramids in, in Egypt or the Taj Mahal or the Eras Rock or Angkor Wat and all of these amazing Taj Mahal, all these amazing places. And you have a whole pile of confidence too because you don't really think that you can do it until you do it. And then you realize like, wow, all these things I worry about when, you know, when I just think of every time I got into a taxi in Colombia, like I didn't know if they were driving me off to the rebel base or to my hotel, right? Or if they even knew where my hotel was. And I always arrived and it's like, oh yeah, like I can handle, if I can handle Colombia, I can handle anything in my life. And I think that confidence, the change, the, the, the forcing you to actually stand on your own two feet and make decisions and do things is uh, will does everybody a world of good so uh, make your plans and then just go and do it and if it doesn't work out you have to come back home with your tail between your legs and you do and you work up your you work up your uh, your monetary situation till you can take off again and sooner or later you'll you'll get it right we've all failed it's part of the growth and it's nothing to be ashamed of so that's what i have to say yeah, definitely travels like a muscle. You know, the more you work it, the stronger you'll get. And, uh, you know, the travel confidence Probably. goes up the more you do it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, in closing, I uh, want to hear from the rest of the panelists. Uh, what is your quick, uh, you know, the one piece of advice you would give to someone who wants to travel more? Uh, go ahead, uh, Pete and Betsy. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think... In absorbing all that Scott had to say, I would just, I would heartily ditto everything that he said. But one of the things that struck me is that if you're at home where you've always been, and we call it the lifestyle treadmill, you know, because you're, you're, you're never really getting ahead. You're just walking a treadmill to maintain your lifestyle. And that in itself is depressing. But when you're depressed, you, you, you lose that sense of innate curiosity, that, you know, that childlike sense of wonder that makes life interesting and rewarding. And for us, a change of circumstances brought that back. And, you know, it's a wonderful, positive, beautiful world filled with magnificent experiences and lovely people. And all you need to do is just take a little bit of a plunge. I mean, e even if you're not ready to sell everything and um, fly without a net, I've got a friend from high school who just got her first passport at the age of 63. And she went down with a group of friends. She's a widow. She went down with a group of friends to Mexico for the, I mean, that's the first time she's ever been out of the country. And I say, wow, isn't that like the coolest thing you've ever heard? I mean, I love it when people are getting off the recliner and going out and traveling and understanding that there's so many differences, but also that 
beneath everything, we're all the same. That's been the biggest revelation to me. And just to also underscore Scott's point about the food, man, I'm telling you, the food everywhere is just so good, obviously, you know? So, I mean, just get out there to eat delicious things if, if that's the only reason. Awesome, love it. Awesome, love it. Kevin, uh, what would you say to the person who wants to travel more? There's no way to start. There's no way to start. Okay, uh, while we wait for Suzanne, uh, sorry, Suzanne Yvonne, do you want to share? Sure, sure. yeah. Hey, uh, I, yeah. oh, sorry, we're blocked there. Oh, there oh. we go. Is it better again? No, I'm, I'm saying that when you, when you go out there and see other travelers, um, it is, it's so good you got up this morning. And you just have to be thankful for the little things. So when you think that your world is ending, it's, it's not. It, it really is not. And there's so much out there to see. It's that Betsy was saying, we're all the same. We just look different. You know, you go out there, the moms take care of the kids all the time. And occasionally, I see the dads take care of the kids. I was just in Romania, and apparently Saturday is a dad day. So the dad has to take care of the kids while mom stays home and does mom stuff. So we, and we all want the same thing. We all want a better life. So um, just get out there and do it. Yeah, you're probably going to fail, but then that means you know not to do whatever you try to do in the first place. Do something different the next time. If you're going to sit there at home and do exactly the same thing you've been doing forever and it's not working, it's not going to change. So just get out there and do something different. Love it, love it, love it. Okay, and uh, wrapping up, uh, final two panelists. Hi there. What I've found, a lot of us, they say, well, I don't know how to do this. I'm not sure. I, I don't know if this is going to work. Uh, you know, I need direction as to how I'm going to be able to do this. And people feel that they're trapped in a box. And they are. They're trapped in the box. But the instructions to get out of the box are written on the outside of the box. So you've got to get out. You've got to take the plunge, jump off the cliff, break out of the box, and then you'll find out how it actually works. So you learn it by doing it. Love it, beautiful. And for me, thank you everybody. Uh, you know, we were just in Bali, so speaking about nutrition and also all of what Scott was talking about with paranoia, I think that holds people back. People are scared to make a move because they're too locked in to all of the negativity. Well, we last year sold our condo and we got rid, like Ricky did, 95% of our stuff. And we live in a much smaller place that we can rent out quickly on a dime and do things with. But also, I wanted to remind people, people are fabulous out there. Having three weeks in Bali, we ate like kings and queens. I've never eaten such amazing, beautifully presented food. And, and people were caring. And, and I've never had any problems traveling like this. So people always say to me, oh, how do you do this? Or I feel so stuck. I'm unhappy in my life, all these things. And I say to people, you got you to gotta unlock from all of these bonds that are tying us back and we have to take those risks to get out there and make the changes that we want and through osmosis we'll find our way and it's it's like anything if you want to lose weight you got to start if you want to start 
traveling and being a digital nomad, you've got to start somewhere. And it might not be you're traveling today, but you're putting your house on the market today. You're making a move cleaning out your stuff that's holding you back today. And you're making a move to starting looking at where you're going to book your first trip and where you're going and where it will lead you. So again, it's one of those great examples. I've traveled a lot in the world, although there's many more places to visit and new experiences, especially in the modern world. We can do this now and easily and make money outside of the paradigms that we've been brought up with. So I highly encourage everybody to get out there and book a ticket and do something. The dream is possible. We are all living proof that the dream is possible. You can make money while traveling the world. And you've seen example after example on our podcast. We've had 99 guests sharing their stories, their struggles, their challenges, but ultimately the breakthroughs of how they've managed to make income while traveling the world. Sometimes it is to every single country in the world, every single continent. And sometimes it's with family, sometimes it's with just a couple, sometimes it's just solo travel, but you can also make your dreams come true. And uh, you know, thanks everyone for tuning in to this episode, episode number 100, uh, live on location for Bogota, Colombia and from around the world. We've had over 20 guests, from multiple countries, multiple continents, and we just wanted to show you that the dream is possible. You can make money while traveling the world. And we're here to celebrate that the dream is possible. We're here to celebrate 100 episodes. We're here to celebrate that you watching, you listening, can make your travel dreams come true as well. Reach out to us. You're not alone. If you're feeling down, if you're feeling out of luck, you can make your travel dreams come true. Thanks everyone for tuning in to this episode of Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and the video cast where we teach you how to make money while traveling the world. Okay. All right. Bye,